Captain, there's something heading our way extremely fast. It's coming straight at us. I've never seen anything like it before. Action. Racing. Fun. Adventure. Nintendo 64, the fastest, most powerful games console on Earth. Now at 99.99. Hello everybody and welcome to Kane and Rinse. This is your latest of our single platform console specials and we've arrived at the fondly remembered by many Nintendo 64. That's probably redundant to say because most of the consoles we covered are fondly remembered by at least a few. Anyway, joining me, Leon Cox, in this Kane and Rinse podcast special are Chris O'Regan. Hello. Darren Gargett. My one and only console special. Do you think it will be? I, I think so. Ah, okay. I think this is my third it's exclusive. Well. Yeah, <laughs> and Darren's been around for years. Mm. Anyway, uh, you'll hear why Darren is is here with us. Apart from the fact that he's just awesome and lovely, anyway. Also, <laughs> it's Jay Taylor. How do? Now I'm more curious by Jay's. Uh, involvement in this one because i think listeners will probably know by now that um that jay is not normally present on our sort of more nintendo gamey kind of regular podcasts mm. the marios and the zeldas and all that kind of thing i know you've played some zelda but um but this will be interesting to find out uh, what probably your history not is. that interesting but... or not that interesting <laughs> but here you are anyway yeah. we need we needed four and uh, actually, Brian was going to join us, who is, uh, it's a shame he, he can't make it in the end, but a scheduling conflict. Uh, but Brian would have been our uh, US sort of angle on this. But, um, but hopefully would we he can. he speak we faster can... than us? Is that how it works? He speaks, he speaks faster and, and more loudly. And he's got yeah. a and, bigger screen. That doesn't make any sense. And there's more. Yes. <laughs> and he fires off gunshots in between to punctuate. Sentences. And he's got no black borders at all. Impressive. None at all. None at all. Anyway, right. Well, let's find out why each of us is here, or at least what our histories are with the Nintendo 64. And Darren, we can only really start with you. Did your lust for the machine, for those who aren't familiar with your work, begin before the machine arrived? Yeah, I think so. It was kind of in magazines. You had the Ultra 64 and you know yes. the, the sleek design, which is, I think, designed you know well in advance of the... Um, the machine actually coming out i think they had the form factor yeah. down way early yes and i just remember seeing you know the big talk about the big new machine the ultra 64 and just a few screenshots of what was to come and i just remember it almost immediately just captivating my my, my whole brain space it's like i just need one of these and um yeah it kind of went from there i i had a ps1 for christmas and i had a few games of it like you know wipeout 2097 Tomb Raiders, you know the the usual stuff that we would play, and I, I love so ninety six probably. Yeah, I'd say so. You know, in the in the height of my prodigy, well, probably not my height, but you know, my my my, my peak kind of, you know, like my newfound love for prodigy with the wipeout and that, of course. And um, it's definitely that kind of era because I, I I felt you know I felt changes happening. I was getting hair in places that I didn't before, and you know, it's just all kind of formative time. But, That's what I associate with the Nintendo sixty four yeah. with puberty. <laughs> But for me, like, I think if anyone's heard the GoldenEye podcast, you know, I go into quite a, um, a story about how it kind of changed me in ways that I couldn't really anticipate. And for, mm. that, and for that reason alone, I kind of made it my way somehow into a very kind of, 
well, a, a very indeed um, a GoldenEye documentary focused kind of premiere film that's coming out soon. I don't know when it's coming out, but yeah, I'm involved in this GoldenEye docu- yeah. documentary because... And rightly so. Because, you know, the N64 and, by, you know, by its nature, GoldenEye kind of saved me from a troubled childhood. You know, I was... I was bullied and therefore I was acting out in ways that was, I was foolish, you know, and I was retaliating in ways that I shouldn't have been. And then I found Goldeneye and it just led me to a whole new group of friends. And now I'm just kind of normal. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I'm not in prison. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's <laughs> there true. There you go. Yeah. You know, and having, yeah. having that kind of social space to play with. I think we played with eight or nine of us every weekend. We had yeah. Goldeneye. We had WCW, NWO games. We had Duke Nukem. We had so many multiplayer games, you know, ones ones that we liked and ones that we didn't like. You know, we played we played the ones we didn't like as well, like Diddy Kong Racing multiplayer. We're just like, let's just stick it on, see if we like it this week. No, all right, let's turn it off again. Like, it, it, not not all the games that deemed classic had classic multiplayer modes, but that didn't stop us from staying up way too late playing N sixty four for. Well, it felt like years, but it probably you know it probably was years, but it felt like an eternity. You know, when you're in the thick of it, when you're like in your teens. Like a year feels like forever. Now I could just blink a year. Well, we have just blinked a year, and it's just like, well, that's a year gone. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, um, I remember trading in my PS One, the aforementioned PS One, at Northampton. There, there was a there was a game shop there. Was, I would say retro game shop, but at the time it was contemporary. It was modern. And I walked in with my PS One and my games with the intention of trading it in. I don't know why I went to the shop. I just liked going to Northampton with my mum, I guess. And I was but who mom. wouldn't? Yeah, why not? It was, it was at a market square. And I'm sure it's called Games World, but I can't find any trace of it online. Mm. And I walked in and I saw they had no Mario 64, to which I was just like, oh, that's why I, I wanted Mario 64. Because whenever I saw that in motion or in screenshots, I just, you had to have it. Like, how, how could you yeah. not have that game in your life? It was pretty much a one-to-one attach rate. With mm-hmm. Obviously, we have covered Super Mario 64, but there's no way we're not going to talk about it a bit in this show because it was so entwined in, in with, with the launch of the N64 and really the machine's whole life. Mm, definitely, yeah. It kind of goes without, without mention. But yeah, I, I, I didn't have that opportunity to buy that or trade some stuff in for it. But luckily, I did have enough credit to get an N64 and two games to which I got Wave Race 64 and Beautiful. Mario Kart 64. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking behind the counter and they were selling imports. And I wondered why these kind of these console boxes for the N64 were um, vertical, not horizontal. Vertical. And, and, there was and one, had weird writing on. Yeah, and, well, <laughs> it was called F1 Human Grand Prix. And I just thought, people don't race around tracks. They drive. What, what does it mean, Human Grand Prix? Like, I was completely <laughs> yeah. confused by the world of imports. And later on down the road, what felt like forever was actually a year or two. You know, I ended up importing stuff myself to the max. Um, yeah, I was very confused by these strange uh, orientated boxes and, you know, the, the human Grand Prix wording. And yes. just, I was just like, well, I don't know what that is. I'll come back to that later on. And you know, There's I, always a strangely named uh, import racer when consoles first come out. It's the law. There was uh, there was the one on there was uh, the one on PS1, which I've forgotten the name of. But there was Grand Chaser on the Saturn, hmm. which sounded like a very different kind of affair to a race a futuristic gran, racing gran game. as in Gra- gran as in your gran chaser mm. as in benny hill <laughs> that, is a, that, is a, that is a game um but yeah and then um i remember taking it home and i ran straight to my friend's house and said look i've got in 64 and he didn't seem that bothered and i was just like oh okay he's definitely going i, I distinctly remember this this friend howard he was just like ah oh, okay cool I'll, I'll make him around and i was like well that's not the action i wanted because like, we played like mega drive together and to some point, the the PC yeah. and Super NES. So going to his house, God, I would have been so excited, and I was older. Yeah, he than wasn't him. really bothered. And then you know, it turns out like 
he was going in the direction where it was just like we're about to hit upper school and like the first story you hear of you know mingling with new kids is that you know he, he got sucked off on a golf course you're like right that's what he's doing right okay i got it okay sure yeah. he's going that route whereas i'm staying in this route don't know if we can say that on the podcast sorry if it's rude but um <laughs> but, true story and then uh, so i found some new friends and i was just like oh i, I kind of wormed my way in i heard people talking about games in 64 and i was like if i sit next to him in class i'm definitely gonna get friendly with this guy and um he was called michael wong he owned the uh, well his parents owned the fish and chip shop down one of the best in Leighton buzzard at the time and it was just like yes i'm in with michael wong this is amazing because yeah. if anyone was gonna like actually because i was bullied a lot and i wanted to make friends who could definitely kick some ass and like michael wong knew his way around a high kick <laughs> i was like I'm okay friends with him. and then he was friends with now my best mate best man william mann aka kip who i spoke about a lot he now lives in sweden and again like who doesn't want a really tough to- uh, scottish guy to punch someone in the face if someone's come to bully me so i kind of surrounded sure. myself by these kind of physically fit <laughs> intelligent men who could defend me should these little... Which you're still doing to this very day, I like to think. Yeah, you know, I do surround myself by giant (laughs) men, but that's for different reasons. Anyway, no. um, (laughs) Yeah, so then from that point onwards, the N64 was just a staple of my life. And it ended up, you know, curating me into a QA tester at Rare, you know, at the Xbox kind of crossover period. Yeah. Playing the N64 so much taught me so much about games as more than just enjoyment and i know like games should be there to be enjoyed but i just saw the workings behind games at that point i was like well if i'm playing perfect dark and i like you know i spin around backwards and you know jump well you can't jump in perfect dark, you know leap through this thing by jumping off a ledge mm. and falling through a geometry like, i ended up finding things in perfect dark that i would never have found in any other system before that and my brain was just mm. like i find this really satisfying I ended up getting a job at Rare and then that didn't work out how I planned or dreamed. And then I kind of went to a different company down in London and I kept to and fro between games testing companies down in London and ended up really enjoying it for the time it lasted. And, you know, it's not really a job that's viable for me now, but without the N64, I wouldn't have had my name emblazoned on the back of a Mr. Bean game on the Wii. So have that. <laughs> <laughs> or more, more importantly... Uh, your name's on a, a few uh, games like uh, Saber Wolf and yeah. uh, on the GBA and yeah, stuff like you know, that. Gra- so grab the don't put yourself down. No, you I, were... I loved every single moment of my QA job uh, years. And, yeah. and the N64 is exactly the reason why I'm probably yeah. podcasting now. And, you know, that's kind of my gift to you all. <laughs> <laughs> it is a gift. What we do without you? So yeah, bizarrely, uh, this doesn't happen very often. I'm actually the second youngest person on this podcast. So uh, Darren is the really the only one of us who can come with such uh, wide-eyed and wild-eyed youth, uh, because the rest of us were in our twenties when the N64 came out. But that's not to say we were any less enthusiastic. Indeed, as we are now. So um, Chris, I imagine. You would have been uh, poring over Edge magazine and, and whatever else in the years, really, leading up to the N64's release. No. This is a time of a life when I had absolute apathy towards consoles of any kind. It was a silly time of my life, but my mid-twenties was, well, when you're in your mid-twenties, everything's in extremes. I know this now, 25 years later, as Jay may relate. I don't know. But, um, wisdom has definitely appeared along with grey hairs in the temples. So... But at the time, apathy is the only way I can describe my initial thoughts and any uh, sort of like uh, sense of uh, emotion towards 
the uh, N64. Just like, I don't care. Because I had a very, very powerful PC with a 3D card. I had. Right. So yeah. because of that, I mean, I've, you saw, I mean, the great example I like to cite is Tomb Raider. If one cites Tomb Raider as a great, you know, Sega Saturn game. And it is. Uh, and also a PlayStation game. And it is. But if, when you see it running on a PC with a 3D card, it's amazing. And it was. So, that, well, I've got this. Why do I have to? Because I was in that place, an annoying, horrible place that, thankfully, I, so I didn't buy one at launch. I knew it existed. I was reading the Edge magazine, as you described. But I was just like, just apathy, despite all of the, the enthusiasm around me for the games that are on this device, along with this, you've got to understand, this is a blanket, like, apathy towards any console, whether it's fourth or fifth generation. I completely skipped fourth. Just like, I never had a Mega Drive. Right. Uh, that, that, yeah, that explains a lot. So you, yeah. you weren't thinking, right, the sequel to, you know, the, the 3D sequel to Super Mario World is finally here. No, no, they couldn't care less. But what changed my mind? Well, one game, and so I didn't buy it at launch. I know we're going to talk about personal histories and stuff, but I didn't buy it at launch. I bought it maybe a year after launch when Zelda arrived. Yeah. Because you got to be blind or dead inside. Uh, if you didn't realise that actually this game's very important. And it was that game, that game alone, believe it or not, was the one that switched me over, and I actually got a N64, and I think the PlayStation about a month later or something like that, they were very, very close proximity to each other. I actually got them more or less at the same time. Remember, I was in my mid to late 20s at the time. Disposable income, yeah. please bear that in mind, listener. I wasn't a teenager. I mean, this is when I was earning... I was actually on the verge of doing my professional exams at the time. In fact, I actually, that, 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 the, the fifth-generation consoles were linked to that period of my life when I was just about to become qualified. So um, it's it's yeah, I had a lot of disposable income. It's the only reason I was stopping is because I was just well, I've got to admit it now, and I you know I was blinkered. I've, thankfully, I woke up and uh, I, I. You were in the PC master race, and you saw no reason to exist outside. That. Indeed, and. I don't regret that in that regard. There were some fantastic games in the late 90s for that platform. As we know, we had Quake appear in 96. still remember downloading the test for it and being marvelled at it and whilst also playing Duke Nukem. But that's a separate item. But although they are related, because both those games I just mentioned also arrived on the N64, which is why I raised them up. Um, well, so once I did that, once I bought... The, I remember buying the, the my N64, which I still own. The same one I bought back in '98. is when I bought it. It's when the Zelda came. When Zelda came out, I got it yeah. with. Uh, it was a bundle, packing bundle back then. So they actually got. You know, I actually got Mario 64 with it. Um, I remember that, and uh, so I don't actually have a box form by copy of Mario 64. There's no box. In fact, the where it's kept is in the box for the memory pack that I also got with the machine. Um, so, you know, being a slightly late adopter, which is not something I've done since Dreamcast. Since Dreamcast, I've generally bought machines on launch, more or less, although I didn't buy that with the eighth generation. But that's a side issue. Um, the, so I'll never forget just being drinking in Zelda Ocarina of Time. That was the game for me more than Mario 64. I was blown away by Mario 64 
uh, don't get me wrong, and I'm still to this day find it one of the most competent and well designed and uh, uh, platformers out there. It has its problems, but it's still definitely a pioneering title that many other games of similar ilk uh, learnt from and, 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 and were born from. Uh, and uh, certainly Rare's titles as well were, were exceptional for the most part. Uh, and um, I, I just found the the language and the interface and the relationship between the player and the games was slightly different on the N64 than others. We're going to talk about it later, I know. But there's definitely a design. It was it was definitely a, an evolution uh, from the design of the SNES, which I was not aware of. And I've only been recent, maybe 10, 15 years, I say recently. In the last 10, 15 years or so, I've re- you know, understood that actually the, the fourth generation machines were amazing as well. And I did miss out on that boat. But I've, you know, recovered from that, if you like. Uh, so there, that's the, like the launch experience, my sort of embracing the experience of, of using the machine and getting to grips with the rather odd controller and that kind of stuff. And, but lo- loving the fact that you could just slam in a cartridge, turn it on and off, it would go. I loved that more because everything else, the other platform I had at the time didn't do that. Had, sure didn't. You no, know, um, and uh, and that's a wonderful thing that you have these. They're quite heavy. Uh, these these cartridges. When you slam them in, turn it on, and it would just go. Whereas everything else, there are other variables where it didn't. Uh, <laughs> especially on the PC. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, absolutely. Um, yeah. So that was especially back then. Yeah, but um, so that's the that's a, that's a key memory for me. It was a playing experience in it, and but it was very much a Zelda machine for me. Uh, for a long time, I did buy a lot of other games, um, uh, but that, that was the that was the game I was drawn to. I didn't, yeah. I didn't, and I know this may horrify many, but maybe not. I didn't really play any multiplayer games on it ever. Right, okay, it wasn't my friend circle and circle. Like, there were not that. No, that didn't happen until the Xbox with Halo and LAN parties. Never happened. I didn't. You know, I hear a lot of people talking about GoldenEye multiplayer. I never. Did it? I wasn't at university at the time. I was a, like I said, I was on the brink of becoming qualified. University was way behind me, so I didn't have that thing going on. So it just didn't happen. And what I appreciate GoldenEye for is one thing, one thing alone, is being one of the earliest, not the earliest, one of the earliest FPS games to appear on a console, and their ability to actually, you know, we'll talk about that later. But that's that's the notable thing. I did get it. I did enjoy it. I do remember it being exceptionally expensive, but that's a side issue. Um, but, yeah, I really was quite impressed by it. But at the same time, I was still playing PC games. So I was still, you know, it's like I, I liked it for what it was and what it did and what it was trying to do, but it wasn't it wasn't as immediate or as engaging as me. Because I was at the time, it was competing, my time with my N64, it was competing with games like Baldur's Gate and, 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 and Half-Life, that kind of thing. So that's when it arrived in my... My, my possession jay i'm curious um you uh you told us your excellent backstory for the ps1 mm-hmm. uh and i'm wondering so uh where this sort of arrived in 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 that uh that period of time was it it can't have been that much because you said you were a yeah. relatively late adopter of the ps1 yeah i was but i was even lighter with the n64 <laughs> oh, okay right um there was a slight overlap there at the start. So my my history with this is that I had no interest in this console at all. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
You'd never been a, a Super Nintendo guy, or no. certainly not an NES guy. No, I I I'd, I'd avoided Nintendo consoles completely at that point. Yeah. It'd been Sega. It'd been like Atari, Sega, um, yeah. PlayStation, and it would have been. It probably wouldn't. I've 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 lost all track of the exact dates on this, but I know it would have oh, been sure. yeah. ninety seven. Yeah. Um. I used to work with a guy called Jamie. Now he'd avoided PlayStation. And like everybody else had a PlayStation at this point and was playing that, but he didn't bother with it. And he was, he always maintained that he was waiting for the N64. And I, I do remember mocking the hell out of him for it and like rubbing it in with the Resident Evils and stuff like that was, as we, we got to that stuff. But one day I'm having this conversation with him after he's got it and he's got hold that he was playing Shadows of the Empire. Oh yeah. Right. And so this, this a launch is, game in, in this territory, anyway. Was it? Um, yeah. But it was, I mean, nothing's changed much, but you mentioned Star Wars to me. My mm. ears are pricking up. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, he worked about five minutes from where we, uh, he lived, five minutes from where we worked. So he said, come around after work and I'll, I'll show you this game. It's amazing. Like, <laughs> little. I mean, yeah, well, anyway. The first um, level makes a good impression, or it did back it. in 1997 yeah. anyway. And yeah. you, you cast your mind back to like 24 years ago. It, well, I say it wasn't as bad as it is. There were definitely parts of that game. But anyway, I go around there, and I'm skeptical, right? And I, I, I have no interest, but I figured, you know, I like these things, and uh, let's just check it out. So he plays that Hoff level. And I do remember this kind of feeling of like damn like, envy yeah. at the time thinking oh wow okay <laughs> like and it it totally changed the way i was like looking at this console yeah had no interest still had little interest well i had little interest because I, like i had enough to be playing it's not much changed in 24 years or whatever but i had enough to be getting on with with the one system and i couldn't justify it at the time a year later, I'd, I was, I'd moved to London. And when I was working there, it wasn't long after working there that um, there was a guy called Brad. He came up and said, you're into video games, yeah? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he said, I'm selling my N64. And he was selling that plus about eight games for 250 quid, which wasn't a bad deal because I think the, the system... At the system time, had dropped to, it dropped to 200 fairly quickly yeah yeah but games but, games were still 50 quid new so yeah, yeah was it wasn't price. like i was quite you know i i remember at the time thinking well that seems like a pretty good deal i had no idea what games he got like he, he mm. ran off well it, it, i did at the time because i said well what games have you got and then he ran off a bunch of titles i'd never heard of but then he mentioned like golden eye and stuff so i was like and shadows of the empire so of those two games alone i was like Okay, I'm kind of sold on this. Like, I'll come. Oh, let's have a look at it, and um, I'll see what happens. Anyway, I went round there. He'd had it all set up to show that it was all still working and stuff, and uh, I picked it up then and there. And then for months after that, I just binged on Shadows and and well, uh, Shadows was like just that one level in Shadows. Just keep really, replaying the yeah, the yeah, half level. Yeah, it was yeah. like you know the rest of the game's absolute crap. But it's off like, the rails, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But then it was just that. It has and, it has a couple of moments, but some yeah, of the later yeah, levels it's are. Got to go, oh, you've boy. got it. Oh god. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then and Goldeneye was a game that I 
had very little knowledge of before going into it. Like I'm not a mass. I wasn't a massive Bond fan. Like no, I watched no. the Bond films, and and they would be instantly forgettable as far as I was concerned. But mm-hmm. it was. But this game, like yeah. I, I remember being up till like three a.m. one night just playing it, and just thinking like, damn, you know, and yeah. it, you know, everything about the system was different at the time because of the was, you know, we'll undoubtedly talk about the controller and stuff. But it was like. There, there was a you know having that trigger and the, that sort of first person experience and stuff. Where I, I got totally sold on it. As much as I have, like overall, my my approach has been like I loved this console, played it to death for a very short period of time. I mean, we're talking probably yeah. what a, a when did I? So I picked it up in '98, and it was probably some point in 2000 that it got put down, and never really looked at it again. And it's it's that kind of, but it was short and sweet, you know. It was like mm, this yeah. Im- quite impactful console, and it like I've never bought. It's funny because I've both that and the GameCube. I both bought pre-owned in a sense. I bought them off somebody. Yeah, I think the only console, the only Nintendo console I've actually bought new was the Wii. But um, but yeah, it was like very strong sort of memories of the initial kind of moments greeting this machine mm. but yeah i mean we'll you still about got it. yours haven't you same, i still have one? yeah and i've still yeah. got all the games i've got with it um yeah you know some i've never like uh hold on what's this one some I, of it's not your kind of bag some of it? it is absolute junk like i say that and i have no knowledge of this but i'm looking at the cover thinking it's crap but um mace the dark age mm. you know? yeah <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair enough you know <laughs> i mean my guess was that brad wasn't he didn't seem like a gamer he just would just he wasn't a connoisseur he was just buying stuff yeah right? and so yeah. you know i ended up buying things like i bought a lot of the rare games and i bought the and you know things like I mean, it came with games that I wouldn't have necessarily looked yes. at, you yeah. know. So yeah. in a way, I was kind of glad that he, I got things like Mario 64. Like, that was a game I would never have bought given the choice. Like, so in some ways, I'm kind of grateful that he had this sort of package to buy that because it did give me access to titles I would never have looked at. Just because, you know, I've never been a Mario fan. So it's just, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I think I'm trying to think what the first game was I actually bought new for it, but I couldn't tell you without going through all the dates when they're released and stuff. But, you know, I've picked up things like, you know, Zelda was an absolute day one purchase and stuff like yes. that. So, yeah. But, um, and Perfect Dark was, I mean, Perfect Dark was probably the one that I put the most time in on. It was ridiculous oh, really? how okay. much I got into that game. Yeah. What about um, um, Rogue Squadron? Any interest in that? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that would have been a day, that would absolutely have been a day one because mm. on the strength of that, I, and then it was interesting at the time, um, we'll talk about the games, I suppose, later, but it was that we will. that repeat of the Hoff level thing was like, yes. you know, you could see how much that, that system had improved upon, or the, rather the developers had improved yeah, upon the... Different developer, we yeah, should yeah. say, but uh, yeah. It's interesting you raised those Star Wars games. For me, when that appeared, I went, oh, it's on a PC as well? Oh, okay, I'll get on that. It was, yeah. And that happened yeah, a lot, yeah. Jay, for me. It's just like, uh, I would constantly do that. I'm like, is it on the PC? Yeah, I'll get it then. It happened all of the time. And yeah, it's, for those of us who didn't have a gaming PC, yeah. though, it was uh, it was fantastic it was. to have a P- PS1 or an N64, which were considerably cheaper. Yeah. I mean, this, this segues into my story. Uh, I didn't have a gaming PC at all. I was 24, I guess, when this came out in the UK. 
uh, I didn't have a huge amount of money living in a flat with my girlfriend and uh, both doing fairly low income jobs. Uh, but I was a very committed gamer at this point. I already had uh, a PS1 and uh, got a Saturn in the summer of 96, I think it was, already aware that the N64 was on the way. I was a huge Super Nintendo fan. I was, uh, this was the kind of the, yeah, the early days of me wanting and making sure I had every major system at home. Uh, but the N64 was actually the first ever console I bought on launch day. And I, it's still not something I do every time. Uh, I do when I can and when I'm keen enough, but this was the one it was, it was seeing footage, little glimpses of, of things like Super Mario 64 that just made me realize that this, as we were moving into 3d polygons and as i say for those of us who didn't have a pc a gaming rig that would have cost you know probably around 1200 quid at that point which was more money then than it is now uh it was a way of getting some of that kind of 3d polygon texture mapped power uh, at home um, and obviously the ps1 was was doing a fine job but it was fairly apparent fairly early on that this was a more powerful polygon pushing unit plus it had the advantage of all Nintendo's first and second party teams kind of working on it. What we didn't know at this point was how few of Nintendo's reliable third party developers would jump ship to the CD based consoles. But in the end, you know, for me, that didn't really matter because I had those those machines anyway. But yeah, I have very strong memories still of going to my electronics boutique. I think it was at that point it had been. Game Zone, then Future Zone, then Electronics Boutique, and ultimately became Game, of course, and still is. Uh, went to EB, I reckon, midnight on the 28th of, uh, was it the end of March? or Anyway, I've got the dates further down. Late March, I think it was, or late February, uh, 1997, after the lengthy delays. Uh, and picked up my PAL machine. I was aware that PAL machine was... Not going to be as good as the NTSC, but importing was prohibitively complicated and expensive at this point. So I just decided to lump it with the the slower boarded games and just figured that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about what I was missing. Uh, and yeah, I remember shelling over what was for me a, a large amount of money at that point. So 250 quid for the console. I think it was uh, 60 quid for Super Mario 64 and 50 quid for Pilot Wing 64. So, yeah, I paid it all up uh, ahead of time and then went there at midnight. There was a, a queue and uh, was just watching that Hoth level running on a track mode over and over again on the big TV in the corner, uh, waiting to, to get my machine queued up, put it in a big rucksack that I borrowed from my girlfriend and yomped all the way across town home, I guess about 25 minutes, uh, worried about being mugged. I spent all my money on the N64, couldn't afford a taxi. <laughs> so so I went home and uh, set it all up at, yeah, probably near, but it was probably one o'clock by the time I set it up and probably ended up only playing for a couple of hours before uh, finally actually hitting the hay. But uh, but yeah, it was it was revelatory. And I think some of those uh, I definitely would have talked about. We don't want to repeat too much, but would have talked about some of the early impressions on our Super Mario 64 and Pilot Wings. 64 shows which were the the two first games i played i then coveted the machine as part of my collection of three from that era that generation and bought most of the major titles that came out for it over the next 
four or five years. I think rather like Jay, the, the N64 in general, I mean, it, it did burn quite brightly, but quite briefly uh, as the, the market moved on. And it did it did actually pretty well in, in, in it didn't sell as many as the Super Nintendo or uh, the obviously the things like the Wii that would come later. But uh, but I think it actually made made money for them um but it never got a massive library of games which we'll which we'll talk about but as a kind of hardcore quotes enthusiast gamer uh some of the games that it did get were the exclusives were absolutely like day one you you know you just obviously ocarina of time and things like for me banjo kazooie and stuff like that uh most of the rare stuff was just yeah every time a new cart came out it was just like yes gotta get this at some point Though, uh, with the advent of virtual console um, uh, and things like that, although it's certainly far from uh, a complete collection, obviously there is uh, grey emulation as well, but I did sell my old PAL machine. The The intention is that one day I'll rebuy an N64 that will be a multi-region, 60 hertz enabled, HDMI modded N64, and just so I have access to some of those games that I don't currently have access to, but the Power Machine went uh, went for cash at some stage. Yeah, they'll and probably release a mini at some point soon. You know, I would have thought. Yeah, it's never quite the same. I love the, I love my minis, but um, yeah. it's it, it depends on how they yeah how they present and how the emulation mm. is and stuff. But um, yeah, I've seen a few things saying that there there are lots of reasons why there won't ever be an N64 mini to do with uh, the way the software works and and the licensing issues and all this kind of stuff. So we'll see. I wouldn't rule it out, but uh, I'm certainly not banking on it either. Mm. Uh, but there we go. Yes, uh, I mean, so it, I know. It, it, sorry, it, it, it's kind of. It's interesting when I think about it because it's the only console I think I've bought twice without right. it being a replacement for a broken machine. <laughs> you know, it's like I bought other. I bought. I've had to over the years. I've had to, obviously I've had to replace consoles. Xbox three sixty. Yeah, blown up or whatever. But a, yeah. um, but the N sixty four was one that I bought for the hell of it. Which was <laughs> they did that thing where I, I guess it was been run about sort of. 99 2000 when they released the the translucent colored yes. plastic ones and i i saw the purple one and just on a whim i thought i've got to oh, have really? that wow i did i bought the that that's what that's the one i've still got today which is because i ended hmm. the one that brad sold me was this the generic the gray the gray Chocolate. one yeah. yeah which i gave to my brother for his birthday and oh, nice. the little okay. ungrateful prick didn't like it like he moaned that i was just giving him his trade-offs and stuff and i was like no Oh, that's what I thought. <laughs> like that was the last <laughs> birthday present I actually bought him as well. So I was Fair thinking, like, screw you. Well, you didn't no, buy it. Buy did you? That's that's the issue. <laughs> but um, castoffs. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. We'll talk about some of the uh, the variations as well as we as we go along. So the developer obviously the machine was Nintendo Internal Research and Development, manufactured by Nintendo. Remember the hype was pretty massive. It was originally known as uh, Project Reality before it was known as Ultra Sixty Four. There are a lot of kind of in-depth articles and videos about how the N64 came together out there. So uh, rather than sort of take up your time with that, we'll recommend that you seek out some of those. But essentially, Nintendo got into bed, metaphorically, with silicon graphics with a view to making, at the time, the most powerful hardware on the market in the console space anyway uh the game uh the the console sorry was uh particularly it was delayed a couple of times worldwide and and delayed even further in europe to the point that even while it was still known as the ultra 64 nintendo bought adverts in the press saying you can't buy this and basically saying wait for it because it's going to be amazing and it's going to blow you away not sure how much effect that had on 
people who were hoovering up PlayStations at the time. But uh, but certainly the N64 did have its devotees, as with all these machines. There were a couple of coin-ops which were purportedly going to share similar hardware and had certain uh, DNA relationships with the hardware. Killer Instinct, obviously being probably the most notable one, actually had the Ultra 64 logo in the attract sequence. I get, Is it still there on the Xbox version? It probably is. Um, and... So that when we went and played Killer Instinct in the arcade, I thought, well, this is these are the graphics I'm going to get when I play my N64. And at the time, that was quite remarkable. But by the time the N64 came out, it was already starting to sort of show its age a bit. Uh, there was also Cruising USA, which, again, shared some internal bits and bobs with the N64. But actually, if you compare... The version of Cruising USA by Midway that uh, came out on the N64, you can see that the arcade machine was able to uh, run at higher resolutions and things like that, uh, higher frame rate as well, I think. So uh, some of those bespoke arcade cabinets were yeah, a bit beefier than the, the consumer unit we eventually got in the little grey box. Uh, obviously, a huge talking point at the time was, and, and still notable, was the fact that Nintendo decided to stick with a cartridge or as they called it game pack format. Uh, they did attempt to bring their own disc format to the market later, the magnetic disc that came with the 64 DD, but that machine never was released outside of uh, Japan in the end. Although I believe there's one U S version out there that uh, YouTuber metal Jesus rocks has in his possession. That was some kind of um, retail prototype or something like that. But the game pack thing, well, I've heard and and read and seen a lot of sort of there's a lot of reasons why Nintendo may have gone down this road. Most of it we'll never know for sure. One was uh, obviously it made it meant that the actual machine they were making was cheaper because mechanical drives at that point were still very expensive to put in a machine, although you know Sony was selling the PS one at relatively low price. Uh, there was the the fact that they'd always made money off off of uh, licensing cartridge production to people and um, getting you know get the very much in control of the games that they wanted on the system. But obviously, on the flip side, and, and there's the durability and easy access uh, considerations as well. But on the flip side, they were Nintendo were now putting themselves in a place where they weren't able to compete with the storage space that was available on CD, and it ultimately meant that they lost quite a few key developers such as square famously who took their final fantasy 7 ball and <laughs> made it a three disc game on ps1 which would have taken about 8000 uh, n64 cartridges or something um so yeah uh i remember at the time just thinking that's cool it's nice to still have a cartridge based machine but i was aware that things like audio or you know uh, spoken dialogue and things like that were we were getting uh, less of a less of a deal with that kind of stuff and CG intros and all those kinds of things. Mm. But I just sort of accepted that it was a different experience on N64. Like that that stuff was all great and cool, but uh, the PS1 and the Saturn certainly couldn't move the same number of triangles around at a time as my N64 could. Mm. You know what? The, the game pack thing as a kind of, you know, a, a middling teenager, it just didn't bother me. Like no, the the yeah. naivety or maybe like the ignorance of that kind of age group was just like, who cares? Like you know, I can just I can just chuck it in my bag and then you know just yeah, you know just <laughs> just free and easily just 
pop it in someone else's console and, and it's off can't scratch a can't scratch a cartridge well not <laughs> not meaningfully anyway unless and, you, know, you slide you, chew down on the connectors <laughs> i'm sure some dogs did and some so, humans too. Somebody did yeah but you know like the um but the durability of the cartridge was a, was a was a great thing, you know. And the, but they they packaged them in cardboard boxes, which is a bit of a yep. in the you know the shins. It's like come on. A lot of those boxes have have gone now. I know Chris sh- uh, get, showed us a pic of his row of games, all very nice, and uh, as mine were until I sold them all. You know, a, mm. a, a, all complete with with box and yeah, instructions I'm, I'm and all that. I'm not a fan of them at all, though. They are extremely fragile. Um, yeah, long term, they yeah. they don't they don't tend to age well. Yeah, but you know, like um. Uh, we had these kind of plastic cases that came with N64 magazine uh, of the time. And it was That's an unofficial right. magazine, but it was it was my favourite. And, you know, yes. if, if you were to look around, Future like, publishing. It, it would be like the most favourite, you know, favoured magazine of the of the time. And they were given away like, you know, like uh, some magazines have come out with like cartridge racks that you could slot them into. I never had one of them, but with the, yeah. with the actual like <laughs> the VHS like cases. Yeah, we had a few of them that you could just, just yeah. pop one in there and just, you know, take it around your friend's house and... We all had like our own individual kind of multiplayer games that we kind of collaborated with, and that's how we ended up with these like marathon sessions happening. But yeah, the the game pack stuff it felt like a natural evolution from the SNES. You know, it didn't seem out of place. You know, it mm. it felt it felt fine. You know, and as the Switch is now, I mean, we've had portable consoles with displaced media with the UMD, and you know, I, I, that's probably about it really. But you know, the Switch as a cartridge based or a game pack thing, do they still call them packs on the Switch? It just feels like a Nintendo Card, thing. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't bother yeah. me, even though no. I know the limitations, I guess. And we also now now know, we found this throughout the N64's life, there was always the, you know, remember, um, obviously the, the PS1 had this one-time speed CD drive, and uh, and loading could be pretty torturous at times. But uh, Nintendo even commented that on, on, on that in their advertising, saying, no loading, slow. But... Um, but of course, we did get a few games, and and you see it now on the, on the game cards on the Switch all the time. That they, of course, there's loading. Yeah. There's they just they still have yeah, to load what's on the cartridge. Into, it was just often a bit faster. I remember Wipeout uh, sixty four having a loading screen. I'm like unpacking the music. I beg yeah. your pardon. We don't have these yeah. on this console. I'll have you know. But yeah, it was, yeah. Um, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, so the CPU was the big deal, I guess, uh, because it was a sixty four bit NEC VR. 4300 running at a clock speed of 93.75 megahertz which was basically three times the ps1s Uh, the saturn was a bit more complicated because it had these two processors living side by side and as we know uh people who knew what they were doing could get a lot out of it but uh but in terms of raw grunt the n64 was the uh was the boss at moving polygons around a place of course again if you play most of those games now especially if you play them on the original hardware, you'll see that the frame rates were, by modern standards, mostly unacceptable. Mm. (laughs) But at the time, we had very different expectations uh, for 3D graphics. Maybe, again, like, it's interesting, obviously, Chris coming off the back of a, a, you know, 3D FX, Voodoo, whatever, uh, probably used to running things at closer to at least 30 frames, maybe higher, I don't know at that point. But, um, But you still would have noticed of course, that things like even Ocarina of Time was struggling to run at sort of 25 frames a second, running probably most of the time between, I don't know, 15 and 20 frames a second, something like that, which, again, you know, the game worked with those limitations, but from a visual point of view, it would have presumably seemed like a bit of a downgrade. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's an odd one because, like I said earlier, um, you had to see through it. 
Yeah, to, mm. to see beyond that. Just it accept it, yeah. Just accepted yeah. it. This is, yeah. speaking as someone who's like, you know, was playing games on a, like you said, a machine was running at a high frame. But when I sat in front of the N64, I had to, my brain had to change and accept what it could and couldn't do. But, yeah. you know, um, but the, the, the whole frame rate thing, I don't remember that being an issue for me. Sometimes it would be like, what's this? Like confusion. And my brain would be going, why is it doing this? Why is it in front of this? You know, uh, occasionally. But generally speaking, it was like, no, the, the experiences or the game and the, what I'm experiencing at the time is so so remarkable that I saw through it. I forgave it mm. for the most part, but not yeah. always. The game, uh, sorry, the console came with four megabytes of Rambus RDR RAM, but uh, was expandable later uh, from 90, late 97, I think it was. Uh, or was it 98? Anyway, the eight megabyte, uh, megabyte expansion pack uh, basically doubled the RAM. Uh, and in fact, uh, well, we talk, we talk about that on the Donkey Kong 64 mm-hmm. show. A very expensive mistake made by Rare <laughs> meant that they had to include it in every single cartridge. Um, and for other games, it was used as a, quote, enhancement. But in some cases, that enhancement meant uh, it allowed the console to run at its higher resolution output, but it didn't really do a lot about um, mitigating the frame rate against that. So you would have higher resolution graphics with even lower frame rates mm. quite often. Yeah. which was uh but again there you go at the time i was just i was more concerned about getting the resolution up than getting the frame rate playable because it was uh well it was the 90s <laughs> yeah yeah uh games came on between 4 and 64 megabit game packs uh and you could also put there was a, a little slot in that controller for a controller pack which was a little 32k dubri that you could save certain elements of uh, games to. Most games had a battery backed up cart, but not all of them did. Sometimes you needed a save state. Or in other cases, you could actually... The the one feature that I particularly loved was where you could download your best times from, say, Wave Race 64, a podcast we're about to make, and merge those times with your friends. Mm. So pre-online, you could effectively create a friends leaderboard by using your controller packs judiciously. Yeah, never did it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I only did it once, but I, I thought it was cute. It was anyway. a good idea. Uh, the graphics were the, uh, the Silicon Graphics RCP at uh, 62.5 megahertz stat fans. So the sound uh, was 16-bit sound, 48 or 44.1 kilohertz in stereo, but uh, there was no dedicated actual audio chip as such. Uh, as I understand it. Um, and of course, the cartridge space also meant that sound was often uh, quite limited and heavily compressed. We've heard a recent, uh, in recent years, uh, uncompressed versions of things like the GoldenEye soundtracks, uh, where the fidelity and clarity suddenly rings out and you realise that you were listening to a very crunched up version. But of course, that that actual, that very specific sound is incredibly nostalgic to a lot of us. I don't think it mattered a lot either back then either. I mean, most of us, you know, there was still a lot of mono TVs floating around as well. Very true. Yeah. You know, it's like... I just want to go back to the storage of the the little uh, controller pack, if I may. Um, There is actually a built-in menu in the the 64. If you just turn it on without a cart Mm. and you can actually manage all your save files, because 
that's a tiny, tiny amount of space. Very wee. Very, yeah. very wee. And, uh, and they're about 15 quid, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, I would often have a second controller plugged in with the other controller because the other controller would have a rumble pack. Sometimes that would work. Sometimes it wouldn't, depending on the game. That you could actually save onto the second controller rather than... But, you know... It's, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a thing I used to do. But, um, in fact, I was doing it earlier today. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's just what I'd let, you know, it, it reminded me a little bit. It sort of like felt a little bit like how you, when you turn on a PlayStation. You know, that yeah, because you know. that's right. Because normally if you just turn on an N64 with nothing, you just get a black screen. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, it turns on, but there is literally nothing, not even a N- Nintendo logo. No, no. Just it's black. CRT black. Unless you go to the menu. Do things cr- with your memory card. Crank up the brightness. Yeah, that's um, The N64 supported uh, a nice big palette of 16.8 million colours. It could display resolutions from 320 by 240 up to that high resolution 640 by 480. But uh, most games that made use of the high-res mode required the expansion RAM pack. There were a few that didn't, especially late-gen. Developers had worked out how to get a bit more out of the console. Uh, which was apparently notoriously incredibly difficult to actually develop for. And the majority of games on the system use the low-res mode. Uh, if you play them on Virtual Console, a lot of those were actually up-resed or upscaled to the 640 by 480 or higher, so they won't look. And I'm sure if they released a Mini, they would probably do the same. Although I, I think they should give you the option to run it in the original resolution and frame rate and uh, and give you the option to clean it up if you want. Uh, quite a number of games because this was the era of uh, widescreen TVs coming into prominence. A few games, such as Goldeneye, as I recall, uh, supported 169 mm. anamorphic widescreen letterboxing, mm-hmm. which was nice, thanks to Wikipedia. We've also, as usual, got some memories from the community. And our first correspondent is Matins Vi, who says, When I was seven, I never felt an urge to play games in 3D. I found games like Pilot Wings and Starwing always felt confusing and unfair, as if they were never meant for the Super Nintendo. The N64 launched and my best friend at the time got a grey console with Mario 64. Me, being a massive fan of Super Mario World, Castlevania 4 and Super Street Fighter 2, was quite disappointed when I first saw gameplay of the launch titles. I thought the graphics looked horrible and weren't even nearly as lovely and colourful as the 16-bit graphics. The worlds of Turok were covered in grey fog, which made the game just look dull and uninspired. With my seven years, I thought gaming had lost me forever, when games forced me to use the analogue stick. And this new rumble feature was as convincing to me in 1997 as it was to Sony in 2006. So I got a PlayStation and kept on playing 2D games like Abe's Odyssey and Heart of Darkness, and I was happy. But then other titles launched for the N64, 3D games that looked impressive and made me understand why 3D was a thing. Games like Operation Windback, Lilac Wars and Goldeneye were games that felt impossible for the PlayStation. As a kid, local multiplayer was a key feature in every game and playing Turok 3 with four players at the same time felt much smoother than crawling at five frames a second in Rainbow Six on the PlayStation. 20 years after the launch of the N64, I bought a used console for my collection. Even today, I feel a bit like the N64 kid when I see the box of the N64 showing a Stormtrooper and Bowser. Even if the PlayStation in many ways was a superior console and had almost unlimited variety of games in every genre, for me, the N64 felt more like a next step, at least gameplay-wise. 
an interesting choice mentioning Operation Winback being impossible <laughs> on the PlayStation because we had Metal Gear Solid, right? Yeah. yeah. Then I'm, like, yeah. you were allowed to like Operation Winback. But I, well, I wasn't a fan, and also we had Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation wow. One. Did it have as many polygons though? Did it? <laughs> and did it have no, analog but it control? Had some weird had stuff. a laser gun which was in laser a uh, laser dotted sight on your gun which was in resi yeah, 4 true. and in nuclear yeah. powered mech so you know there it is yes shout out to brandon and uh, also rachel kuzma the famous kids from the nintendo 64 video it's yes. still up there on youtube the uh, the lad gets wheeled out every once in a while uh, to talk about his uh, early memetic fame uh, but yeah bless him i mean that 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 video i think is genuinely quite charming mm. and does capture the the unbridled joy that gamers greet new new gaming purchases with whether they be as old as he was in that video 10 or whatever or uh as old as chris jay and i are now <laughs> yeah, yeah. actually i don't remember screaming like that when i got a playstation it's just 5, as but... you get older you internalize it more that's all you do. that's true you, you become more reserved yeah, yeah i don't there might have been some lots of internal screaming um, when I got yeah. my PS5 and Xbox Series X, but it wasn't. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Oh come on! As soon as uh, that little pass, like even when you get a game and that you hear that thunk on the letter on your door, yeah, yeah. as the postman puts it you down, you still have you a little like, leap, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Ooh, it's here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It never quite goes. No. Well, I hope it doesn't. No. God we've got another. It. Hopefully, we've got another few decades to find yeah. out. <laughs> So the console was eventually released after delays, as I say, in June, June 23rd, 1996 in Japan. In the USA, they had to wait another three months to September the 29th. Uh, of course, theirs was also an NTSC machine running at uh, full whack. The PAL markets, EU and Australia, had to wait until, yeah, March the 1st, 1997. So it would have been late February, that midnight I went out. France had to wait another few months. I didn't. I hadn't remembered this until I looked it up. But uh, for whatever reason, France were left out for a few months until September '97, hmm. and then Brazil in December '97, where typically consoles are astronomically expensive. I don't know the launch price for there though, there's but I do. Yeah, there's something different about the French N64. Cannot remember what it is, but I think it's something to do with the output. I think it's got RGB. Seacam televisions. Yeah, yeah. I think it might ah. be something to do with that. I do. Think I don't know because. Got... I, um, it's easier to yeah go on if it was rgb it would be massively in demand and mm. as far as i know you still have to get your console modded to output yeah, rgb yeah, I so i don't it's think it's easier that. to do with french ones than others oh maybe yeah um but um just on this when it was released i do remember seeing it for the first time it was a japanese one it was a london hmv one on Oxford yeah. street which is now no longer mm. there um but i do remember seeing it and it was on black and white and i was like why I know why now, but at mm. the time, like, why, why, why are they showing? Not the best it? way to show it off. No, it wasn't. You think they, they could have? They yeah. they could have found a uh, a, t a television to actually run it on. But yeah. there you go. There you go. The launch prices were twenty five thousand yen, which is a fairly standard console launch price in Japan. In the US, it was one hundred and ninety nine dollars, which is by today's money three hundred and thirty five dollars. So still cheaper than your current consoles. In Britain, it was. Two hundred forty nine ninety nine. As I said, fairly. I think it dropped within like three months or five months or something to two hundred quid. But uh, adjusted for inflation, it's four hundred sixty five pounds. So fairly close to what you're paying for consoles now, really, uh, for the most powerful consoles on the market. Chaos nine thousand and one. 
says, Nintendo 64 holds a special place in my heart because it's the first console that I purchased myself. I remember putting it on layaway at my local Walmart. Essentially, they would hold the item until you were able to pay it off completely. It took a few months, but I was finally able to get hold of this by pooling my paper route money. This made the system almost a holy relic in my mind. I even kept the box for this system on my shelf for about four years. I spent countless hours that summer doing barrel rolls and throwing Bowser. These games kept me busy until I could get a hold of the absolute pinnacle of my childhood gaming experience, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. The three weeks between the game releasing and my birthday was one of the most painful times in my life. Not just for me, but for the poor kid that I kept pestering every day in gym class to recount his Hyrulean adventures over and over until he finally just said, Shut up about Zelda! Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> the machine lived a few, relatively few years, six years in Japan until April 30th, 2002, when it was discontinued. And it was discontinued around the world between, uh, yeah, between May and November 2003. The GameCube already out, of course, by that point. The IQ player, which we'll talk a little about later, died in China in 2016. Lifetime sales, yeah, not too bad. 32.93 million. Certainly, as I say, not up there with the Switch or uh, some of the biggest selling consoles, but uh, not a paltry amount. Uh, I think it's, it's about... Is it three times what the Wii U's done? Something like that, maybe? A lot, close, anyway. Uh, so certainly not Nintendo's biggest failure, even if it was considered underwhelming overall. Let's talk about the actual box, the little grey box, or whatever colour you had. Uh, I was never blown away by the aesthetic of the actual machine. I thought it was pleasant enough. It's got the little feet. Uh, it's got the little s sort of uh, curved top. Um, and a big Nintendo 64 label on the front. It was kind of functional, but it never it was never one of those machines that got me actually excited. It's Anyone sturdy, else? though. I'll give it that. Like, yeah, it, rock solid, for yeah, sure. Like, yeah, like when you shake it, there's no loose bits or rattling inside <laughs> no, or anything. There's know? a loose like, bit in mine, but that's because I butchered it. I've got two consoles. One's a Japanese one that I took the plastic pegs out from um, to, to play right. both US and Japanese cartridges. Yes. So if you shake Region. it, there's a little tinkle of some plastic rattling around there from oh, well. 20 years ago. Still works. Still works. Yeah, they used the same region protection as the Mega Drive, effectively, uh, putting little pegs. Uh, the, apparently, they, they did put out false information out there that there was some built-on, you know, circuit board level region protection, but uh, it was total total lie. No, no, no. <laughs> PlayStation did that, but not... not yeah, but um, <clears throat> I just, uh, for me, uh, I always felt a little bit agitated by it, oddly enough, because I felt it wasn't finished. It was a squished thing with four weird little posts implying that there's going to be something underneath it. Now, we know what that would be. We'll talk about that later. I mean, it never arrived over here. But just to this day, I'm like, just not finished. Just like, they look just, like little feet to, yeah. to stand it on. I know, it's just my brain. Just looked at it again. Again, for, for me, it felt like an evolution of the Super NES in terms of like nice and right. round for us you Europeans. We had a nice round SNES. And this mm. felt like a kind of a, a darker you know a more mature console because you know we're, we're in the 90s and everything had to be a hard you know not hard and edgy but like, you know like, oh it's mm. black and you look at it look how cool it is and um yeah you know it had the expansion port on the underneath on the flap which is cute you know it was just like you know poking at my curiosity it's like what is this for like you said chris yeah. in terms of the um the legs but again so did the snes and we never found out what that was for really that's true well unless you had a satellite view in japan oh, yes. um 
and it had the little hatch on the top as well, of course, where you could actually look at your, your four megs of memory. Yeah. Uh, and until the expansion came out, I was like, why? Why can I? What? Why? Why do I? Need, how do I? A anyway, on the top. Yeah, yeah I, there it was. I really, honestly, like I'm, nostalgia is speaking here, but I remember seeing the of full course. front on view and the ridge mm. in the middle with that logo. And I was just captivated by just that kind of design with the four ports. So obviously mm. we have had multi-taps on the other consoles and, you know, we, we mm. made use of them. But the idea of everyone, again, collaborating with their own controller, their own color, their own style of controller and all just putting it together in one console. Yeah, the form factor for me, it's, it still works. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's nothing too technical, but it, it does the job. And like Jay said, it is. Even though my my reset button's starting to play up, but it's probably because it's a bit dirty. Oh, I've dropped it yeah, many times sticky. and it's survived. Yes. Yeah, I pulled my uh, my 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 N sixty four got yanked off of its high shelf oh, yeah. during one uh, GoldenEye session. The cartridge uh, always displayed a little artifact of that every time I booted it up after, but it wasn't. It was just literally when I turned it on, just a little flicker. But the console itself lived on. I bet someone's still got it now. This, you know, because I sold it. I bet someone's still using it. I hope they are anyway. And yeah, the four controller ports. This was the first console for 15 years to not really demand that you bought a multi-tap if you wanted to play with your friends. The Atari 5200 had four controller ports. That came out in 1982. But Nintendo brought it back with the N64, which uh, if you could afford four controllers at 35 quid or whatever they were at the time, uh, generally, it was a case of having your friends bringing their own controllers around. I think I had two N64 pads, maybe three, um, but uh, but people used to bring them around for sessions of GoldenEye and whatever else. I think I owned almost every single you know common controller color possible because at this time I was working in right. the Leighton Buzzard uh, High Street Market. I used to work for one guy called Adrian who used to sell dresses, and then I used to do like you know an hour on the guy next door called Chris's old sportswear. And between the two. I was <laughs> cashing in like 20 quid a week and, you know, that would easily fund, you know, because the N64 games, they were few and far between, really, if you think about it. There was kind of like, OK, yeah. that one's then got a few months to the next one. So in, in that yes, time, I yeah. amassed, you know, several, several hundreds of pounds. I was like, right, I'm going to go and spend on N64 controllers. I had all sorts and um, I, they really didn't skimp on the colours. In fact, they launched with several, didn't they? Uh, certainly uh, in in maybe even here there were a few i remember somebody i think my friend pete had a green one you get blue yellow red black i had a two-tone black and gray yeah, one i mentioned that on the mario cut 64 podcast which my mum sold at a jumble sale or car boot sale for a 50p yeah and i had a gold one which it's the only time i've oh, ever yeah. done it no the second time i've done it the other time was dark souls is that i smashed it on the floor in outrage because mario cut 64 ah, cheated me and i broke my will, shoulder button on the, do the gold that. one yeah, uh, see-through controllers, green, blue, grey, uh, uh, pink, lighter blue, red, orange. Um, yeah, gold, silver, uh, four Pokemon controllers of different colours uh, and the, the purple one. Yeah, the they were a lot. One. There's a banana one for Donkey Kong. Of course. The, um... And cartridges, we should mention mm -hmm. as well. A few few games, although not as many in PAL territories as in elsewhere, but... A few cartridges came in. Uh, there was an Ocarina Gold one, one. Uh, Banana Yellow, Donkey Kong, and a few others. Some red and some uh, Ra Turok Rage Wars was black, I think. Yeah, yeah, Turok 2 was black as well, I do believe. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, was, green was, one as well. was this the first console to do all that stuff? Because it feels like that's a thing that is maintained throughout the ages from that what, point. What, the controller colours? Yeah, like it's, mm. I mean, to the point where Microsoft are literally doing custom 
Yeah, yeah. Versions yeah. I'm struggling. I, I think you might be right. PS One was probably first. Uh, yes, it yeah. Been. No, I'm thinking just, about it. Yeah, because they did like a blue about, and a red. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, it would have yeah. happened more or less at the same time though, because when they True. started yeah. doing that, that was when the Dual Shock arrived, which is more or less. Well, it wasn't the Dual Shock then, was it? It was just like the analog controller because yeah. Dual Shock. The ninety-seven analog. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, it was just the ninety-seven analog stick. When that arrived, I think that's Same when the colours arrived yeah. because mm. I don't think the original, like non, and you know, the, the, the original yeah, PlayStation. Sure, I don't think it had different colours. I don't think. I'm it not did. sure. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And, I remember uh, a white satin controller, but that was the Japanese one, right? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. you could get a white satin with white controllers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, speaking so. for myself, I only had a grey and a black one because that's me all over. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I mean, I didn't Safe. buy any of those. I only had the one that I like. Obviously, I got the uh, the translucent purple one that came with the console, which is the one I'm still still got to this day. But it's yeah. There was also and, um, a series of um, painted ones with like leopard print and kind of red camouflage. Oh, and nice. I think Carl Moon mentioned he's got the red <laughs> one, and I had the um, the leopard print one, which I sold for a, a bit of a fortune when Ivy was born, as well as other kind of Nintendo related right. rarities. Um, yeah, they're made by Fox Data, and it took me ages to research it and dig deep, and I had to go onto a forum where there was like like four people still talking about. It. I was like, "What's this worth?" And they were like, "Yeah, it's worth a little bit of money." So I managed to the even Bet Lynch controller, yeah, yeah, third man. party controllers, yes, and uh, that was always a minefield, of course, as with most machines back oh, in the day. There were some some really uh, dubious ones, but let's talk about the actual. Uh, the first party, the controller, as well as colors. Let's actually talk about it because it's a design that is, I think, still one of a kind. Uh, no one else has done a trident or an inverse trident before or since. I know some people uh, absolutely hated it, um, but I quite, I, I got on with it fine. Uh, there were sort of three or four different ways of actually holding it, depending on the game and which which uh, devices you were using. It also introduced, of course. For uh, a couple of games, the early possibility of using twin analog sticks for first-person games uh, by holding one controller in each hand was that the sol? No, not the solitaire. What's it called in Two point one is Honey. Yeah, Honey. Um, but yeah, the actual the it had a fairly chunk, a uh, sizable D-pad. Um, the analog stick, which mm. uh, was notorious for not being that. Talking about how sturdy and durable the console was a lot of people reported uh dodgy analog sticks i never had one fail on me i got to admit but um but that's not to say it I've, didn't I've happen i've seen plenty that are like a like a loose tooth that just wobbles by itself that's right like if you yeah. just hold the controller by pure handles and yeah. just wobble it it would just you know jitter around by itself i've seen because i was working in game shops or hanging around or loitering in the independent game shops at this time I've seen many of N64 controllers had that kind of like chalky dust wobble going on in the Everyone used to talk about that. Yeah. Magical Isopod on the forum said, uh, I don't hate the N64 controller by any means, but I hate its joystick or more specifically the lack of durability and the difficulty in finding one in good shape in the period between Nintendo discontinuing official production and third party manufacturers making reproductions in recent years. Used accessory bins were absolutely packed with N64 controllers with joysticks flopping around like broken limbs. Um, uh, I found it, when I first saw it, I was quite, I don't even know what I can describe, intimidated. Because it was so mm. odd. Mm-hmm. It was a very peculiar looking device. I'm like, what was, 
what, how do you how do you hold it? What, it's not your Gravis gamepad anymore, no, Chris. No, I still own that. <laughs> Stop it. Um, but uh, and it still works. Thank you very much. But I my my original controller that I use today still works. Um, so that's got to be. I mean, I think it's the type of games I was played on it. Probably means it's still working. We'll talk about that later. But um, no, I, I I'm not a I'm not a massive advocate of it because I do believe the DualShock is a better controller. Um, but that and it was contemporary against it. But I just found it oddly prototype like. It felt like it was a like they almost got it. Uh, but you know if you compare it to the 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 the, the, the was it the 3D pad. On the Saturn, mm-hmm. um, which was it's also uh, another attempt to put 3D controls into a controller uh, because of the the nature of the games, they needed something. You know, the the, the, the digital pad is not going to not going to cut it apparently. Um, but for, yeah, I wasn't. It's just it did feel somewhat uncomfortable to to play with uh, after a while. I did find myself getting a bit of hand cramp with it, uh, but. Um, yeah, it's yeah. I just feel the initial words intimidate, and now it's just this is a prototype. This is a, a embryonic thing that will eventually evolve into something else. For me, it was um. Sorry, I'm stand corrected on Golden. I made a mistake. I know I'm the Golden Eye fanboy, or whatever. But Honey was the original control style. One point one for Honey was Golden Eye, where uh-huh. you use the stick to walk, you know, back, forward, and strafe left mm. and right. Right. If you were to gotcha. put it on one point two solitaire, that would make the the C buttons, the camera buttons. Uh, your walk and the analog yeah. stick to look, which kind of emulated mouse and keyboard in a strange way for me. You, yeah. had, you had the free look of the, you know, a, a free look of the stick and the, the strafing buttons, which would be your WASD, if you imagine the four kind of C buttons in that direction. Indeed. The, the 2.1 is plenty. I remember now. It's uh, mm. so obviously, mm. you know, too many controllers plenty. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the, the idea of two analog sticks, I ne- I've never tried it, to be honest with you. I think maybe I've dabbled once and I've gone and have. I've never seriously yeah. taken Goldeneye that way. And I know people do it. It and... seemed insane at the time, but some people swore by it. Yeah. And then obviously post uh, dual analog sticks on consoles, it seems natural now. But it would still it would feel more like the Wiimote and Nunchuck situation because you've mm. got a bit in each hand. Kind but of if there was ever a more wasted bit of plastic in the entire universe. It's that left prong. Like, whoever touched it, it was, must have been the most well, cleanest prong in the world. It's funny you should say that. Uh, we do have some correspondence on that later about uh, the advocating for the D-pad. Yeah, the D-pad. But, yeah. Uh, there it we'll is come back to there, that. sitting there. Just but not, it's true. Most games you, were very much based around using the analog stick. Uh, just, you know, uh, for fact-checking points of view because i think sometimes nintendo is credited with bringing the analog stick to gaming but actually the first consumer games console which had analog joysticks was the prince tronic or ace tronic or intertron series which was launched in 1976 so it was actually a kind of return to analogs after 20 years although there were some in the meantime but um they tended to not recenter this was a recentering analog stick and Mm. it just absolutely was you know the controller was designed around people controlling mario in super mario 64 oh, but it also happened to lend itself very well to pilot wings mm. and uh and other games uh you know, it, party. that's yeah well uh the, the <laughs> talking about peripherals the mario party glove i actually mounted, managed to find a picture of the thing that they sent out was which was this 
uh, harbinger fingerless uh, velcroed strap on glove so famously after was it the first mario party yeah. was it mario party mario, 2 mario party 2 onwards had like track yeah. and field button mashing events mario party that's 1 right. and was that's just right insane spinning the analog stick in the palm of your hand well uh, so the game get, suggests that you use your thumb but there's no way you can rotate your thumb quicker than you can spin the palm of your hand directly precisely on yeah so yeah blisters abound and uh and apparently they did actually send out some of these gloves to punters <laughs> we definitely honestly my left hand if i reckon i've got it in the right light i could probably still see the burn marks we played wow. so much mario party <laughs> four of us just like knowing the game was just pure cheese fest but like we took great pleasure in destroying our palms just to get the best kind of time i guess on the the, the rowing the boat mini game where four of you all paddled oh, one God. boat and it was just like god yeah. and we're like, oh my god look at my hands yeah we had blisters definitely Mario Party survived. We're on number 10, 11, 12. Super Mario Party now is like number 13, yeah. if you count. The, yeah, the yeah, good ones. point. Yeah. Uh, there was also, there were a few other bits and bobs you could shove into your controller uh, along the history of the, the console. There was the transfer pack, which sort of made your, your Nintendo 64 pad look like something out of Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> and it was effectively a way of uh, getting data from uh, your, your Game Boy game. Mm generally Pokemon, into your N64 game, generally Pokemon Stadium. Pokemon Stadium was a huge seller, uh, and the second one was a considerable advance on the first one because they added a ton more Pokemons, didn't they? But uh, but the transfer pack, did you have uh, anyone have a transfer yeah. pack? I never had Pokemon Stadium. So. Yeah, I had a transfer pack because Perfect Dark was rumoured to have, or you know, not rumoured, but it actually oh, had yeah, the yeah. camera feature that you could plug your Game Boy That's camera in, right. scan your face yes. in, and you could shoot your friend in the face. But then... Naughty things they decided happened. it was there. They decided it was too dodgy to yeah. have you shooting your own friends. But yeah. you know, having been employed by that company, I still play Perfect Dark now, and I can see Richard Cousins, and I still shoot him in the head. So there's still some sort of satisfaction. Yeah, from that. you got the faces. They're very, they're quite clear on the. <laughs> yeah, uh... they are. Yeah, he's a nice man, Richard. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, um, yeah, the transfer pack was interesting because it was kind of like a typical Nintendo sort of add-on in if you look back over the history of nintendo add-ons they sort of do a half job you know less so lately like the ring fit adventure one's brilliant but like nintendo always come out with these like by bio sensors or finger trap sensors and stuff like that it was it? one of those on the n64 and then the then, one that you put one that you put on your ear for playing tetris with <laughs> they never really go whole, the whole hog of it like, no you know you could put your game boy perfect dark game boy cartridge in there and i think you get something from that i can't really remember what it was and I'm pretty sure mm. someone said to me that Jet Force Gemini was going to do something had the Game Boy game was released, you know, was to be released, but that uh -huh. got cancelled. Right. But yeah, it was really just a Pokemon thing with a few exceptions here and there. But ultimately, it was just a bit of a, a again, a waste of plastic, really, for me. It never really Lucky got its full plastic. use. Mm. Do we, do we talk about the variations of the consoles? Or we got, got to that part yet? We sort of went past that with the um, yeah, because the Pokemon thing reminds me of there the is most... a Pikachu. We can we can mention the Pikachu N sixty four if you wish uh, because it was it was everywhere. In fact, you still see them. You still see them to this day. Yeah, they're quite extraordinary because it's a different size. Yeah, it's longer, much yeah. longer, and mm. you, you use wider. Pikachu feet to do the yeah buttons and and it's got a Pokeball for a on off switch. Yeah, and he I mean his cheeks, don't he, when you turn it on? It's kind of awesome. It is. I mean, I didn't bother because I have zero interest in Pokemon to this day. But, uh, you know, and also the transfer packs, well, I went silent because, again, 
no no use for it personally. Um, but uh, yeah, just that's one notable variant of the N64 is the Pokemon one. Very striking. Yep, as I say, it's. Uh, I think they made quite a few of them because um, you do see them around still. Uh, talking of Pokemon and Pikachu, there was a game called Hey You Pikachu, which uh, came out in Japan first, of course, and then they somehow, uh, well, they they yeah, they make it, uh, they made it recognise English after it uh, it went down okay in Japan. Pretty sort of uh, simple, sort of pet management kind of game, uh, I guess. Maybe things like Nintendogs were a sort of follow on from this, but the difference. Uh, here was it was Pikachu rather than an actual dog or cat. Uh, but yeah, Nintendo have always had uh, a thing about microphones in their controllers going all the way back to Famicom times. Um, famously, oh, yeah. you defeated the the Paul's voice mm. in the original Zelda by shouting at it. Um, and obviously, plenty of consoles since have had microphone doobies. The GameCube had that uh, Odama game, the pinball oh, yeah. one. Um, obviously semen on the, the Dreamcast and then obviously we've moved into the world of Lips and Singstar and, and Rock Band and all that kind of stuff but uh, it, it is surprising that we, I mean it's well, it's not surprising it's obvious really that Nintendo's always been ahead of the, the others in terms of innovation with this stuff yeah. I always found them you know like analog controllers I mean they were out first out of the gate with that stuff I mean sure we literally just said they weren't <laughs> Well, but they were, well, yeah, it's they 1976, but it. like that wasn't like, yeah, yeah, like did any of us have a, a Prince Tronic, Ace Tronic, Interdance series, whatever? But like, you know, I mean, yeah, like as part of the controller with that sort of stuff and, and 3D games as well, it wasn't the same thing. I mean, mm. you know, it's like things like the microphones and things like rumble packs as well, which, yeah. you know, it feels like they were always just. Mm. Just ahead of the others, sort of. The others always seem to like Microsoft and the, well, Microsoft weren't a thing at this point anyway. But mm. um, you know, PlayStation always would follow up very quickly afterwards. Yeah, um, I did. I did look up about uh, whether this was whether the Rumble Pack for the N sixty four was the first mm. instance of haptic feedback, and I think in a home situation it probably was. Yeah, uh, there were plenty of arcade machines, obviously, and and you could get things like force feedback wheels for PCs before mm. this. But in terms of just a a motor which sits as part of your controller on a on a bog standard console to add a bit of uh, oomph to mainly explosions in Lilac Wars. Yeah. Uh, I I mean I I've got to say I I like the Rumble Pack if only because yeah. it added a nice weight to the con yeah, to yeah. the uh, controller as well yeah. you know with the batteries in it was like quite a heft to it so they also I think wanted... it added a lot to Goldeneye the the, the mm. feedback from the gun oh, yeah, oh yeah yeah definitely they also wanted to use it as a reload mechanic as well they you did. could unplug it and plug it back in again to reload your gun in Goldeneye and such yes um yeah and you know uh, so it, it used batteries which is obviously half of the course at that time but that always felt a little bit odd to me it was just a bit like. Really, you've got to put some batteries in it. It's like it's an odd thing to maintain was to put new batteries in your rumble pack, especially if you've been like bowling around the Goldeneye with two RCP nineties, which could last forever and probably do some. Interesting... Still putting double A's in my Xbox Series X controller though, so it doesn't feel that weird. I suppose. Yeah, 20, I was say, it doesn't feel weird. Like, uh, batteries and uh, stuff. Like, I mean... if that was a thing now, like you, mm. for the most part, it would be a thing that you had. You, like everything's chargeable now. I've got like USBs just dripping out my walls everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, yeah. It just felt odd, like because like. The transfer pack didn't need batteries, and no, right. like, why didn't it? Couldn't it just feed off the power through the controller, like the other things that I plugged into it seemed to be. Mm. Sure, the, the third-party controller packs with the buttons for the pages—they had little kind of 
watch batteries in them. Oh, but yeah, it felt it right. felt yeah. oddly. I'd one of them. Oddly out of place. Like, like Jay said, like you know, the Nintendo. When they give you a new idea, they they kind of you know they. Well, I don't know what the right phrase is, but they go for it, right? They, they're going to give you this idea. You're going to have an analog stick controller in every single box that's open of an N64. You know, if, you, if you're going to buy Lilac Wars, you're going to have a Rumble Pack in there. If, and when Nintendo give you something new, they make sure that, you know, for, for the most part, that everyone's going to be touching it if you decide to buy it. You know, and that's not, that's not really the case with the other consoles because they play mm. catch-up. So I see what Jay's saying there. But just, it was a very odd thing to say, like, oh, my batteries have run out of my Rumble Pack. Like... <laughs> It was just a. It, it was exciting. <laughs> I remember Lilac Wars when I first blew up the first boss in Lilac Wars, not the all range mode one, but the first one because you didn't know about the waterfall yeah. at the time. But it was like, oh my god, did you feel that? That was amazing. Yeah. Oh, batteries went out. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was like oh, I need some batteries for my rumble. I know pack. of somebody, uh, an old school friend of mine, who's still friends with some of my friends who uh, who used to pleasure himself by blowing up bosses in Lilac Wars and resting oh, the controller yeah. in his lap. Now we're talking. Uh, never borrow that controller anymore. right yeah <laughs> I mean, the RCP um, you'd be surprised how many games did actually support that thing looking at my yeah most uh, of them after it came out yeah, the... yeah they really embraced it and it, I liked it I liked it it really worked really well with driving games it did of course in really yeah. well in Japan they got re-releases of uh, Super Mario 64 and Wave Race 64 with Rumble mm. support called the Shindo versions mm. uh, and they also featured some little uh, gameplay tweaks and revisions as well so those are quite collectible. Onto the uh, the D-pad, uh, this was the post I was referring to from No More Spiros who says, over the years I've learned that a more unconventional way to enjoy the Nintendo 64 is to find games that support the directional pad. Side-scrollers like Mischief Makers and Kirby 64 The Crystal Shards are enjoyable because of its large size making for easy movement, and puzzle games like Pokemon Puzzle League benefit from an extra boost of accuracy during those make-or-break moments. But for the best results, you'll want to revisit Mario Golf. The control stick lets you adjust the aim for the ball, to be certain, but there's a slipperiness to it. If you let go of the stick and you go just a touch farther than you actually wanted, mm. the control pads movements are a lot slower in comparison, making it a lot easier to get an exact, well, as exact as it can be in a golf simulator, idea of where your shot will be headed. I managed to get at least a birdie in all 108 holes last year, and had it not been for the control pad, I'd probably still be banging my head and or controller against the wall after landing in yet another sand trap. Just goes to show that sometimes a revolutionary feature can still be humbled by an improvement to its predecessor. I, I'd, I'd suggest that the N64 D-pad wasn't an improvement on the Super Nintendo's D-pad. No. Uh, I, I, on any controller I ever held, the D-pad on the N64 pad was a bit uh, a bit dubious compared to the the Super Nintendo one. But um, but yes, I used I definitely used it in games like um, the next Tetris, for example. Mm, exactly. Mm. Yeah. And uh, the wrestling games that I aforementioned. So I was I was mocking the left oh, arm yeah, on the controller, okay. but the, the wrestling games, pretty much 95% of the time you'd use the AOD pad for movement and then the analog stick was for taunting um, to build your special up. But yeah, that, that was a D-pad game through and through. Um, again, I didn't really think much of it. Like in terms of like, oh, this is unique. Like this is a new way to play. But that was a large bit of space on the left-hand side that yeah. kind of did, did, did get neglect, neglected for quite a while. Yeah, and I've noticed yeah. that whenever I, I hold the pad, like recently, it's always at a slight angle as well. I don't really mm. know why that is, but it's never really like you know, in the palm of your hand in terms of like left and right 
you know, bosh. It's like, because it's in the middle, I naturally mm. just tilt it ever so slightly to the right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You point it, don't you? Point mm. this. I find myself pointing the C buttons at the screen, especially in FPS games. Strange. I think I know why. <laughs> because that's a direct correlation to where you're moving or looking or strafing. Whereas the, you know, the, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And in recent times, uh, obviously with the sort of growing enthusiast market and uh, collector's market, there are now ways you can play on an N64 original hardware, but with a pad that's more, uh, more redolent of a modern controller. Uh, I know, Chris, I think you, you wanted to sing the praises of Retro Fighters Brawler 64. Yeah. Wireless edition. I have the wired edition because I kickstarted oh, okay. it. Um, I don't, or the wired edition. Yeah, the, the wireless stuff is like, you know, you've got to charge it and it's baff. Uh, I'm okay with it on, on 8th and ninth generation consoles, but when it comes to anything older than that, I prefer wired. Anyway, the Brawler 64, as Leon has described, is a redesign of the original N64 controller, doing away with the middle analog stick and the three-pronged non this instead it returns us back returns us just to basically the two-pronged thing that we're now used to whether it's uh yeah whether it's you know uh, on on the uh the xbox or, or playstation it's mm. very similar to that but the the, the analog but drops stick... the d-pad back down to the bottom right of the analog stick rather yep. than yep. way out on the left yeah and the analog stick is on your way over way over mm. on the top left hand yeah. corner there and it's great very comfortable. Very, nice quality very, analog very, stick and all that. I remember. It's not, it's not cheap though, and if you're going no. to import it, you, they mm. will you will land you with a massive yeah import duty on it. So naturally, that's annoying. But they are awesome. So around the corner from where I worked in Leighton Buzzard, there was um, a, a distribution company called LDA, and they used to distribute console peripherals and all sorts. And a few of the guys, and, you know, I presume women, but a few of the guys that I knew, they, well, not knew, but I knew because of the shop, they came in and they used to kind of like ask me questions about what's been going on, and, you know, what's selling and that. And I didn't really realise who they were, but one of them was a um, a designer for Joytech controllers. Okay. And he goes, he goes, oh, Darren, what do you think to this controller? And I just tore it apart. Like, it was angled. It was kind of like, it felt nasty in your hand. There was no rounded curves to the prongs. It was all like someone had put like a snes kind of polygon character in your hand and i was just like mm. this is terrible he goes yeah so um, i made that i designed that myself uh, <laughs> I, I, I work for a, joy, a division of joytech who lda around the corner i was like awkward oh sorry about that mate but uh, yeah we haven't sold a single one <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> maybe because i wasn't advocating it but yeah oh massive flashback just then looking at that controller because i've seen so many n64 third-party controllers yes. but this, this joytech one it had shorter prongs on the left and right, presumably to kind of save money. Uh, but yeah, it felt like, oh, it just felt awful. And, uh, you know, it was my purest, honest opinion because I didn't really know who he was or sure, what he yeah. was doing. And then when he revealed that, you know, you know, actually, I, I made this thing, I just felt... Yeah, I was we've a kid, all done so, it. Yeah, At least it was only a joystick and not, say, his child. <laughs> That was next week when he brought his child in. I thought, like, oh, that's an ugly what baby. What is this? Get this is awful. It's disgusting. <laughs> I would like to say that the Brawler 64 was released two, a couple of years ago, maybe 18 months ago or something. So this is a recent invention. Um, so, like I said, it, it, it's and it is built to last, my God. Uh, and everything about it is like 
Xbox quality. But yeah, I don't. I don't think Darren was implying that all third-party controllers are. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted <laughs> to like you're making up for it. That actually looks really nice. And if yeah. I was to play with a controller from a third party N64, it definitely it reminds mm. me of a of a Switch Pro controller in some way. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That's that's yeah. Uh, that's what was based the design on. Apparently, I mean, they certainly. They certainly up the uh, obviously going from th- again thinking about the sort of the leap from the Super Nintendo being such a you know capable two D machine uh, at least once you know people started getting around its relatively slow clock speed um, the the number of buttons on the controller you know was such a for those people who were just I buy the Nintendo console and that's all I play on going from that very petite little pad which had Albeit, you know, it was a big jump up from it, its predecessor, the the NES to the SNES, was a number of extra buttons. But now we are adding, yeah, even more buttons on the fascia and the analog stick and a Z trigger as well. James McCone or McQuan, I like, um, from the forum says, I remember opening Shadows of the Empire for Christmas in 97 or 98. I wasn't too sure and was thinking, what is this? My parents then realised I'd opened the wrong gift and pointed me in the direction of the final big present, which, of course, was the Nintendo 64, along with Mario 64. Mario 64 blew my mind. This being my first console, I was so engulfed by the world created by this game. Everything was stunning. My next big memory was demanding that I wanted South Park for my birthday and being upset that a relative had got me Ocarina of Time. I was unaware of this game and had never really been into fantasy or magical star media. Ocarina of Time changed and shaped my whole gaming life. The depth of the game is still unmatched to me, I guess since I was young and the fact that I had time on my hands made it just perfect. Mm. I, like many others, have spent countless days sitting in front of this game. Although I do still swear by the N64, unfortunately it just doesn't hold up in the same way anymore. I don't think it would be as enjoyable without the nostalgia. Countless attempts at getting my girlfriend to play have proved this. I'm still amazed at how long I did play the console, deep into my teenage years, when me and all my friends would spend many a hazy night playing Pokemon Stadium minigames or <laughs> License to Kill mode on GoldenEye. I still have my original console and games, although having an EverDrive means they don't often get a look in. I try to play when I can and have enjoyed loads of the ROM hacks that have been released in the last few years. I do miss the days of going to Shekana in Wood Green or begging my mum to buy a £50 game in Woolworths. My wireless Brawler 64 controller arrived this week, so I'll be spending an evening reminiscing very soon. Was that a, a, a sound of acknowledgement of Pokemon Stadium oh, minigames? Oh, God, yeah. There was... um. Magic Carp Splash is so <laughs> yeah. it's like Mario Party light, but there was just something <laughs> so feverish about it. Like we didn't even play the battles; we just turned it on just because I had it in my collection because I had like a vast collection of N sixty four games at that time. We put it in just to play Pokemon Stadium mini games, and there was a Clefairy one where you had to like remember the kind of Simon says, you know, remember the directions that you're, you know, you, it's like that. But there's a magic carp one and it's just so dumb. You're just pressing the A button to hit like a, um, like a number clicker, you know, like you're counting people body counts. Like, yeah. click, click, click. Oh, they love those Nintendo. They, they always put those games in things, the number clicker. All you get to do is just press A to make your fish hit the number clicker and it goes up and we were just playing it for, it was like the palate cleanser, you know, mm. you know, you, you'd, you'd put, one of the bomber men that had multiplayer and you're like, oh, maybe not. And then you play a decent game that was multiplayer and you're like, yeah, wicked, good time. And then it, right at the end, you'd be like, right, let's just play some Pokemon Stadium because we just need to just calm down and just have a fair, yeah. you know, kind of 
because the N64, right? I've, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but the N64 at that time when we were like 14, 15, 16, everyone's a little bit kind of try hard. I imagine the phrases, you know, like the mm. aforementioned Michael Wong and his kind of karate antics. He definitely had some kind of other moves up his sleeve. And when Lucas A. Bottles were glass, he did clock it around someone's head. And that, that, was after an, that was after a wrestling game. And we were like, that's just too far, mate. You can't be doing that. Is- that. It's like ridiculous. Glass Lucas a bottle around the head because he didn't win the you wrestling could game. Could kill someone. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Um. Yeah. It was a bit unfortunate. And. Uh, but the 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 Pokemon Stadium just diffused it all. It was kind of like there was always an argument at some point. But Pokemon Stadium was just like, nope. Let's just stop. Let's just play this and kind of you know just end the end any tension that was in the room at the time, because you know once you do play like. Well, once we played N64, literally every weekend, every Saturday for whatever, felt like forever, there was this kind of like this this overarching kind of story that went on between certain people in the room. You're like, oh, last time, yeah, he totally destroyed him at this. And Pokemon Stadium was definitely kind of a, you know, like li- licking your fingers to turn the candle, sort of, you know, turn the candle off, you know, pinch the flame out. That's exactly what Pokemon right. Stadium was for us. It's like, nope, stop, let's finish this because <laughs> we're not doing that glass bottle again. That was hideous. And luckily it wasn't my head. <laughs> That took the clock in despite my stupid uh, brain would have explained a lot yes yeah. yeah. was it one of the old dimpled lucasade boss bo- uh, bottles i think with it was the, a with... full-on lucasade was it still in cellophane <laughs> God, yeah it was in the cellophane and yeah it was it was it was a, <laughs> that's it was... all right it keeps the glass together when it smashes <laughs> yeah yeah but it, it didn't no it was a thick glass bottle wasn't it It wasn't like an orangina one that oh yeah the party. oh yeah kind of, it was a proper wallop man and we yeah, were like yeah, really bad well yeah, poor old yeah. David Fuller was his name, and he took it around the head, and I don't think Mate. he came back again. <laughs> From the dead. <laughs> so one of the downsides, I would say, of the N64 hardware was the fact that Nintendo didn't see any reason to equip it with RGB out the box. RGB SCART being probably just about the best visual image you could get on a cathode ray tube at the time from a console, and I was already using RGB SCART on my ps1 and my saturn for pixel sharp goodness the n64 came with a composite lead out the box you could upgrade to svhs which was a not very popular standard in the uk but i did have a tv that had svhs so i was at least able to do that which made things a little sharper but um in the subsequent years probably started nearer the time really uh you could send off your console to various clever people who would uh, solder, get the boards out and do the necessary soldering and tweaking to put an RGB mod on it. Uh, And of course, in recent times, there are a number of HDMI solutions, things that you plug into the back of your N64 or actual modifications to the hardware itself. And yeah, this is something that I would do if I had an N64. And obviously, it depends. If you've got a CRT, no bother. You can just live in the past with your fuzzy blurry crto vision which is absolutely fine for rf rf and composite lovers everywhere uh, but if you want to actually see the pixels um there are ways and means obviously uh yeah, this is something that is very much a subjective thing some people want the that original uh smeary vaseline look and some people because it's you know it's right and it's how the games were designed to be seen but it, other people want something that actually you know shows off the um Shows off the graphics a bit better. For me, one of the best solutions, the least intrusive 
solution mm. is to use an S-video out cable, mm. which is the best you can squeeze out of an on unmodded machine, and then put it into a retro tink, and then the yep, retro tink yep. pumps out the HDMI, upscales it, and, yes. and not one of the cheapy ones you can get from Amazon. It's a much different device. It's it's well, it's designed for one purpose, one purpose alone. And yeah. it does a reasonably good job. It doesn't work on all machines. Like it works very well with the Commodore sixty four as well. But right. that aside, it's really, really good at the at, at making the N sixty four look as great as it possibly can without modifying it you know, on yeah. an HD on, a, on an HD sort of flat mm. screen television, which I I used a lot today, and it's it's great. It's perfectly fine. Um, cool. It's just uh, you know it's it's just something that and. Uh, would highly recommend it. Just get, they 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 give you the cables as well, the N sixty four cables. Yeah. With it, so that's that's all good. So, yeah, it's it's a wonderful. So it's my it's, it's the one I use when I play on the N sixty four to get the best because it makes the colours pop out yes. more than anything. Yeah. yeah it's not so much sure. the pixel definition. It's more the actual contrasting yeah, colours. That's what it really absolutely. does a fantastic yeah. job of. So, and it really helps with the experience because it it makes things even clearer. Because yeah. you know, otherwise it's a bit smeary, but yeah, and, and if you think awesome stuff, yeah, there's a, there's a I've watched loads of uh, videos of this over the over the years on YouTube. There's loads of obviously enthusiasts who uh, go deep into this stuff and uh, weigh up the various solutions to this. Uh, if you, indeed you need a solution, but as I say, if uh, if you just want if you still want to play N64 like it was back in the day, you'll need a cathode ray tube telly and just whack the old composite in the back of that and. There you are, back in 1997 or whatever. The one major add-on, we already mentioned it briefly, but uh, we should cover it. The 64DD was going to be the probably the peripheral, the add-on, whatever you want to call it, the expansion that saved the machine or that kept it relevant. But in the end, it got delayed and delayed and kind of, I, I would say probably about 75 or 80 percent of the games that were announced as being 64 dd games ended mm -hmm. up just being cartridge games mm -hmm. it came out in japan in the end uh there were a few releases for it uh but uh darren as an n64 enthusiast <laughs> and you do have an iq or you did sorry did, have an yeah. iq I sold uh, several hundred pounds that iq good job mm. uh but the was the 64 dd ever on your wish list oh absolutely like yeah just the idea of just clicking something on much like the 32x or the mega cd just yes. the idea of broadening that console's horizon so to speak was mm. an allure that i never even to this day have reached i've had a game because when i went to um tokyo with my brother we i, I made sure i got at least a game and i got sim city just for the fun of it you know why not um but yeah, man, I always wanted one of these because the magazines just sold it. Like it wasn't even yeah. even on the, on the shore. It wasn't even coming, but I wanted one so bad. And I don't even know why. Like it was just like, <laughs> it just looked neat. It looked nice and tidy under there. And it was just, just another thing to collect at the time. And I never could get my hands on one, despite, you know, having friends who could have got me one. It was just too much money and it wasn't really worth the investment. Even back then it was like, so what'd you get on it? Mario Studio. What's that? Well, it's like Mario Paint that you can kind of make polygons. No, not interested. Does, does it yeah. have Mario Paint? Not really. Is there no what about the track creator for F Zero X though? That was a tempter, oh, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it was again. It, but and you know, I had the uh, the Japanese version as well, so it would have worked in tandem with that. Yes. Uh, so the opportunity was there, but I never grabbed it. 
I did have yeah. a, a Doctor 64 while we were in the uh, land of Adams for oh, the yeah. I had one of them. Yeah, and again, I sold it to an Australian, actually, for a, a high price uh, recently. You know, within basically anything that was rare for the N64, as in, like, hard to get hold of. I sold due to the fear of my daughter breaking it. Because <laughs> at some yes. point, I'd turn around and she'd be grabbing it. What's this, Daddy? Just, like, shaking it in the air. You're like, okay, I need to get rid of this stuff because otherwise it's going to be worthless and I'd rather sell it to someone who could make use of it. But the DD, man, like, I still want one. I still want one. And I can't, right. I can't tell you why. I just want to put a thing in it and pop it out again. And then I'll probably sell it. But, yeah, man, it it looked... It looked great, and I just can. Has anyone got one? No, oh. no. I have. Uh, I mean, if it would, I have a thing that rule. I don't actually have import consoles. I've only got one imported game. Actually, thinking about it, and that's um, Chrono Trigger, because of course. Mm. Um, but everything else has been so. My little rule is slightly it, perverse rule. It is really odd. for. A- for a games collector. I know, but the rule is, <laughs> was it released in his territory? No, then it doesn't exist. That's that's really it. It's a bit parochial. It's terribly uh, parochial. Oh, man, yeah. but like when Smash Brothers wasn't even like released yeah. here, like Smash Brothers mm-hmm. coming out over here? No. Okay. We had I'm... to wait t- until Pokemon was a thing before we could get Smash Brothers, right? Oh, it's just nuts. Yeah, yeah look, I, I, and it felt like an eternity. I'm not saying it's yeah. rational, I'm just saying that's what I do. It's definitely irrational. But, uh, <laughs> Speaking of, you can um, stick stick with your slow bordered games. Yep, slow bordered because they're British. They're um, European. Eat European. eat your flag, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Magical Isopod on the sixty four DD says, while I understand why this thing never came out in the West from a perspective of commercial viability, I'm disappointed it didn't. While I've never played it myself, I've seen streams uh, from various games that this thing hosted, and this was an ambitious device. The Mario Artist series offered some really refined creative utilities not previously seen outside the PC space. The F-Zero expansion provided some great new tracks and even a, a really clever track editor. And games like Cubivore, Majora's Mask and Doshin the Giant began development on the DD before moving on to the N64 or GameCube. A good piece of hardware that shared the fate of most console add-ons, a difficult purchase to justify with beefier core hardware on the horizon. Yeah, console add-ons, a litany of plastic and wires that never really caught on, I suppose. It it does sort of live in that space. Uh, Not to say there's nothing to recommend it and certainly stuff for collectors to get their teeth into, but for most punters not even a consideration i guess yeah there were some uh some other accessories that i just wanted to mention there was a thing called the, i remember this being mentioned in the press the wide boy 64 which oh, is a yeah. great name yeah made by intelligent systems mm. allowed uh it was basically a game boy player for n64 but it was uh it wasn't released as a retail device but it was um it was given to press and stuff yeah it seemed like a strange choice really because you had the super game boy right for the, mm. for the SNES. So you kind of expected yes. a, a similar thing. Yeah. And, you know, I guess the, the GameCube had the Game Boy Advance player. So, yeah, it did seem yeah. like a bit of a kind of a weird, like, oh, yeah, but maybe we can play Game Boy games on it with a transfer pack. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> there was an N64 mouse for with Mario Artist Paint Studio, of course. There was a voice recognition unit as well as the, uh, the, the microphone we talked about. There was also a little doobry, a bit like the one that they released with the Wii some years later for Monster Hunter and oh, whatever okay. else. The Wii speak. Uh, yeah, uh, but this was mainly for... It, you could use it with uh, Hey You Pikachu, but you could also use it with 
eternally popular Japanese uh, train simulation, Denture to Go. This was the Denture to Go 64. Hmm. Uh, there was a, an official cleaning kit. Excellent. Thanks, Nintendo. <laughs> uh, and there was a modem, of course, because every console, you want to get it online at some point, right? Even the N64. <laughs> uh, there was the Randnet service in Japan and compatible with the 64DD, which had a web browser. Whoa. Imagine you could have been looking at porn pre-Dreamcast in 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 tiny, in terrible resolutions. VHS, baby. Uh, there was a keyboard also for use with online, the N64 keyboard. I haven't got a picture of that. I guess it was just a grey keyboard. Uh, and yes, the biosensor that we mentioned that clipped to your ear while you played um, Tetris 64. Uh, there was a there was a, a steering wheel, the ASCII wheel 64. I had a steering wheel that worked with the N64. It was a multi-format wheel by Logit was it Logitech? I think it was. Uh, it plugged into Saturn N64 and PS1. Oh uh, yeah, was it Logic Three or Logitech? Logic Three oh, Log seems to be like yeah, the, the next. That's step probably up. more right. It was clever anyway. Mm, I remember, uh, yeah. Wasn't force feedback, but, you know, it was fun for Gran Turismo. If you shook it around, it would be. Just like jumble it around yourself. It'd yeah. It'd be great. Just get someone to force feedback for you. Just don't talk about it in public because it might be the person who made it. Good point. It doesn't work. Yeah. And yeah, there were two online services, Randnet in Japan only. Um, I don't know too much about it, but uh, it's, you know, we, we, we found out when covering... SNES and Mega Drive that they had their online services and so did the N64 but um, the Western world was clearly not ready for such things um, add-ons were required obviously and phone bills naturally mm. there was also an, uh, a third party online service called Sharkwire which I'm guessing was in America but um, I don't it, there was no I don't remember any discussion uh, of, we talked about um people playing Mario Kart double dash via warp pipe on the GameCube. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember any discussion of people jury rigging Mario Kart 64 for online play or anything no. insane like that. Just don't think that was possible at all. I suppose Sharkwire must have been related to GameShark, which is like the yeah. action sure. replay, Maybe uh, what they used to call in the, in the US. I don't know. Maybe you could download new um, codes. codes of it or something. Yeah. 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 yeah it's pure speculation that makes, there. That would make sense. Mm. Uh, there were a few appearances of the N64. This is by no means comprehensive, but I just wanted to mention it partly uh, because I know Darren will be keen. Uh, there was uh, a Nintendo 64 in a 2014 episode of Gravity Falls called Suze and the Real Girl. Mm -hmm. But the one time I remember seeing an N64 yeah. on TV, it's a show I've, uh, I've, I've still yet to watch properly. Sorry, Darren. Uh, I guess it started in, what, 2004? I, I can't really or remember when Sopranos first kicked around because I was I watched it for the first time when I on DVD when I was at Rare, which was Ghoulies, which was two thousand and oh, okay. Like, you know, so it was obviously on TV because like the Sopranos, they when the, when the oh, first was ninety nine that makes yeah because they talk about like boosting um, VHS and VCD and Laserdisc, so yes, you know, it was all kind of like turn of the century kind of stuff. So yeah, the Sopranos was late nineties, and it kind of Tony's kid. 
played so, Mario yeah, Kart. AJ, with yeah, Tony. He, he plays Mario Kart and Blast Core as well. There's another episode where he's playing Blast right. Core and you hear the music in the background. And I hope this they works. actually use the right game noise. Yeah, 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 definitely. And Hallelujah. But, but Mario, I've watched the Soprano so many times. <laughs> I know exactly the moments in the start because he's like he's eight or nine and he's playing Mario Kart and he's holding it in one hand. Yeah, um, and, and his dad Tony <laughs> comes in and he goes, "Oh, what, what are you playing?" Like it's like basically this is a load of rubbish. But he ends up playing it with him, and all the noises from Mario Kart are like, it's all out of sync with the game on screen. But they're using the right noises. At least it's the right game though, because that's the thing that really annoys me. And he like, you know, he's like typical dad kind of thing, like trying to boy his little son off the controller, pushing him around, and then he just like ruffles his hair and walks away, and it's just like. Yeah, good for them. They actually showed like you know like the games of the nineties. Yeah, like I got bullied for a lot of it for playing games. You know what I mean? But like, here's, mm. a, here's an actual intelligent, funny, dark, serious TV show yeah. showing that kids do play video games and, and a positive, a sort of positive depiction, albeit in the house of a killer. <laughs> oh yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> a rich <laughs> ego maniac. Yeah, yeah. However. Uh, I don't remember too many specific N64 magazines. It was mainly multi-format at this time. Darren's already mentioned Future's N64 magazine, which was the natural successor to Superplay. Uh, and that was the one I bought. Uh, there was an in, uh, official Nintendo magazine, which was also from Future. Uh, but uh, I think they, as with most of the official magazines, they did maintain editorial impartiality. But of course, you were always just that little, you know, oh, you was just even back then. Right. I, yeah. I, I'm immature now. Right. But there was an immaturity to the writing in these official magazines. It just made me feel sick. Like the Grey <laughs> Station poo and the dream. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, like, no. Slam it in your slot and all this garbage nonsense mm. kind of fanboy flaming nonsense yeah. that I was not oh. paying any credence to whatsoever gray station poo yeah um the shop also sold this not our shop but the shop like the, the corner shop near the game shop which sold egm which was like yep we're getting egm because at that time i didn't yeah. know anything about egm or one up mm. at the time but egm for me was a magazine i was like that's the multi-format magazine that i can actually like enjoy you know because it was just like there was no yeah, I'm sure there was, but if to me it was just like, oh, there's an actual real decent read in here about everything that was going on, as opposed to the official mags that were kind of yeah. clearly up their own bum bums. Yeah, you could get EGM uh, in in town where yeah. I live in Brighton. Um, at that point, it wasn't overly expensive either for an import magazine. But the only downside was they would often be excitedly reviewing games that were only coming out in Japan yeah. and America. And not not stuff that was uh, going to find its way to Europe. And even if it did, it would often be. But as an import boy, like you know, they were talking about mm. these games in sixty four that had a six months lead time in America. And I was like, cool, I'm I'm ready. You know what I mean? I was yeah. there. I paid a hundred pound for Perfect Dark. <laughs> yes, and you could save up for the uh, official European releases as well. It wasn't cheap. Uh, I, yeah, I remember spending a lot of money on N sixty four games. The games, then, that's ultimately what console lives or dies on in our hearts and memories, I feel. Certainly here on Kane and Rinse. The N64 wasn't blessed with the largest library of games for many reasons, partly because it wasn't doing as well in any region, in any market as the PlayStation, and uh, because a lot of developers saw fit to nip off and... Uh, developed for yeah the, its rivals uh, also 
I was watching a video from Modern Vintage Gamer, the uh, very clever Australian fellow who was, uh, he does some sort of quite interesting, if you're interested in that sort of thing, uh, videos in console tech and uh, retro gaming and emulation and uh, modifications and hardware and all this kind of thing. And he was saying that essentially the N64 was a nightmare to make games for, for developers. Uh, Wikipedia's entry says thus the programming characteristics of the n64 present unique challenges with distinct potential advantages the economist described effective programming for the nintendo 64 as being horrendously complex as with many other game consoles and other types of embedded systems the nintendo 64's architectural optimizations are uniquely acute due to a combination of oversight on the part of the hardware designers limitations on 3d technology of the time and manufacturing capabilities as the Nintendo 64 reached the end of its life cycle, hardware development chief Genyo Takeda repeatedly referred to the programming challenges using the word Hansei, Japanese for reflective regret. Looking back, Takeda said, when we made N64, we thought it was logical that if you wanted to make advanced games, it becomes technically more difficult. We were wrong. We now understand it's the cruising speed that matters, not the momentary flash of peak power. Interesting. The phrase that was being buzzed around all the time in the days of N64 was trilinear mitmapping interpolation, which is basically the um, it's the it's the smoothing of pixels, right? Is <laughs> the layman's yeah. 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 Uh, and because of the nature of the cartridges and the machine itself, texture bandwidth was extremely limited on the N64 to the point that as you will often see going back to N64 games now, they have few textures and the textures that they do have are even by the standards of the day and the resolution that the game's running in quite low res. Mm. Mm. Is it like four kilobytes or something ridiculous? Like Yeah, something like that. caching was nothing. Yeah. Like they had nothing to work with and that's why everything looks like Vaseline. <laughs> He's looking for a screen of Vaseline because that's why everything, all the textures were blurred, and uh, it, it is quite jarring when you encounter yeah. it nowadays. You, I mean, when I was playing it again today at the time of recording, it, it took a little bit of a while to adjust, but you, you saw yeah. through it eventually. And uh, especially yeah. on uh, one particular game, we'll talk about later. But uh, yeah, it's it, they, they they had to do some really interesting gymnastics to actually get it. To, yeah get it to sing and that said we should say that particularly nintendo itself and second party developers like rare made some games that at the time looked pretty extraordinary like despite those limitations mm. uh, i remember playing banjo kazooie mm. back in 98 and just thinking it was absolutely sumptuous uh, and compared you know and that was compared to polygon games on 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 the rival systems as well however uh, it is that thing you go back to, you know, as magnificent as an important uh, and important a game as it is still when coming out into Hyrule Field now in Ocarina of Time, it doesn't perhaps have quite the same impact when you notice that, like, the entire floor is just one big sort of greeny brownie smear. Um, but, yeah, our expectations were different. Uh, obviously, our, our screens were different back then, oftentimes, for those of us who haven't kept hold of a CRT. and yeah, it was nearly a quarter of a century ago 
No yeah. warping either. Textures weren't warping. Just Very like, good point. Mm. No, it's a good point. The, we talked about the warping on the PS1 show, and yeah. that was something that the N64 had in its uh, its extra uh, silicon graphics arsenal that yeah. um, that it didn't have all that weirdness. Yeah. But even back, like, there was a clear gulf in visual fidelity for me, you know, even mm. though it's like a, a teen. See, like Mario 64 and just how fluid and just how the levels looked so charismatic, charismatic, mm. excuse me. In comparison to, say, Turok. Now I know they're completely different games in terms of genre, but the production values were even yeah. just just so clearly like massively different in terms of just like Nintendo obviously know their own hardware, and that's why that game looks amazing exactly. at the time. Yeah. yeah. But like the the Turok thing within the textures, like you look at it and it's almost Magic Eye esque when you just like I can't <laughs> see like it. Re- I I've tried Turok so many times, the first one, and I I understand that it was a you know, an important launch game because it did the GoldenEye control scheme before GoldenEye that, you know, people tend to forget that, you know, that was the kind of the first N64 scene button to move look with the analog stick jobby and I get it. But that kind of texture that kind of goes around the whole of the level, (laughs) it's just, I I hate it. I I really hate it and I can't not hate it. I've tried on the Xbox One console. Mm. You you can push the draw distance out and, uh, uh, you know, reduce the fog. And the the texture, yeah, that's it. The textures (laughs) are much higher resolution. But it's the same uh, one. But it's the (laughs) same one. It really is. And I remember playing games like Top Gear Rally at the time thinking, Mm. this game doesn't look great you know it's got a nice bouncy car and it goes through the mud nice but quite brown colin mccray rally on the playstation was was a was a mm. better game you know and, yeah um, the yeah. n64 stuff like even as a massive fan of it then and now you know i i knew the n64 didn't have the best looking games on it for the most part you know it was it was a, it was a kind of a, a rare moment when you know when nintendo or rare made a game that pushed the N64 to its limits. Like, if you even look at games like um, like Yoshi's Story, that's an N64 published game. But even yeah. that doesn't look as sharp as I would have probably expected it to do from an mm. N64, from a Nintendo production point of view, because the N64 and its 2D capabilities were pretty much useless. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas mm. the Saturn couldn't do 3D. Like, trying to get the N64 to do a 2D thing was just like... Yeah, (laughs) let's not bother, shall we? I guess Treasure managed it a bit with Mischief Makers. Makers, Makers. Yeah, kind of a similar vibe, though. Kind of, because it's all blurring of the pixels, it does that thing, and you can't turn it off. Like the Xbox 360 game, you you can turn those filters off, and you're like, yes, Yes. it's raw pixels. But the N64, man, every time, like, you come up to a Doom 64 sprite, you could, it was just a blurring of the edges that just kind of made it look a little bit like, oh, nah, even back then I wasn't a fan. And you can clearly see like the, the, um, the 2D, 3D difference. Like even like Smash Brothers, when you pause Pokemon Stadium level and there's a Pokemon popping its head out from the side, it's a 2D sprite of a Pokemon. Yeah. It just looks bad and it did back then as well. It does make me wonder, obviously, aside from the, alleged or supposed issues with uh, tech and or licensing and whatever else it is that maybe keeps the n64 mini from happening obviously we have had some a limited number of virtual console re-releases for n64 games on both the wii and the wii u Mm. in mildly enhanced form although there are issues with the wii u versions Mm -hmm. being a bit dark The, the emulation on that system is not optimal but they are they do run higher res and smoother and so there's pros and cons 
But I do sometimes wonder if the reason that Nintendo isn't keen enough to push through and make an N64 Mini is because maybe that they just don't really like the way a lot of the games look now. Obviously, they just re-released Super Mario 64 as part of a triple pack. You can no longer buy it at the time of recording. Mm. But, uh, and I've told this story a couple of times, not much of a story, but just it says something that when we got that triple pack for my 10-year-old niece or 11-year-old niece at Christmas, she took one look at Super Mario 64 and said it just looked absolutely diabolical like she just she just did not want to play it because it looked so rubbish and i'm sort of saying look i I understand you're 10 or 11 years old you're used to games that look like say luigi's mansion 3 but you have to understand that when i first played this in 1997 i thought it was one of the most amazing looking things i'd ever seen Mm. so uh maybe the maybe the n64 is just like even even perhaps more than the ps1 uh or certainly alongside it uh a, a machine that time has been less kind to. Yeah, I think that's very much the case, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, certainly from my perspective with that, I, I like, I love the time I spent with those games and, and played the hell out of them mm-hmm. at the time. But I literally can't bear looking at them now. They just feel so <laughs> I'm not basic. Quite there. <laughs> well, it, you know, like, I understand you, you it. Get, like, you know, we mentioned Rogue Squadron and stuff like yeah. that. I, I, I was in love with this game for months. Like, yeah. just, I mean, it's it's one of those where I've gone through and done all the unlocks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And played the hell out of it, loved mm. it. But it it didn't. I remember it didn't take long for it to, you know, as video games progressed, that all its shortcomings became very apparent very quickly. I think even um, as soon as the Dreamcast arrived, yeah, playing things like Soul Calibur, because uh, yeah. I yeah, I was playing, I was rocking Dreamcast and N sixty four simultaneously. Yeah, love it. Still loving them both, but even yeah, going from a high resolution, relatively sixty frames a second yeah. game like on the Soul Calibur on the Dreamcast, and then loading up Conker's Bad Fur Day or something. Yeah, uh, even, and that was a game that was kind of a technical tour de force for the N sixty four, but the the frame rate and the blurriness and all that stuff mm. quickly became yeah problematic. It's interesting. Uh, and obviously, like I, I, I am currently playing Wave Race 64, albeit on the Wii U for the podcast. And uh, and I can see the visual shortcomings, but also there's still a lot to admire and appreciate and enjoy about it, I think. So, hmm. yeah, it's one of those things where everyone's experience is, is likely to be different. But I, I would certainly say, yeah, loading up something like Rose Squadron now with the fog and the blur and the, I think it would actually be almost difficult to tell kind of what was going on. It's that, it's that kind of messy looking. It is. Yeah. 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 It can can happen that way. But like I said, I said earlier, just see through it in the end. You can see through it. It The the longer you spend with it. Yeah. It's absolutely true. We, we talk about this on the podcast a lot. You can reacclimatize. And as I always like to say, the flip side is if you spend a day playing an N64 game and then fire up, the latest game you got for your series x or your ps5 it's absolutely astounding it's like yeah, yeah. oh my yeah. god this is the most incredible thing i've ever yeah. seen so it has I think that the, the, nice there's something well. in that though because that gives you it, it it kind of gives you a refresh in terms of sure. like yeah you know you you start to appreciate everything that we've got now mm, where i totally. think we can fall into that kind of mindset where it's just you, you we take everything for granted 100 percent like 4k 60 yeah. frames 120 frames all this stuff 100 percent, and it all feels like well part of what it is now but 
you know, going back and, and sort of spending a like I think it's probably a good thing if you go back and spend a week playing like the N sixty four and oh, then, yeah. and then, then come back, it. you know, basically a complete shut off of any modern console and just spend one week playing this old system and then come back and I think it would have a, a total I see refreshed it. appreciation for everything that oh, we've really got is. now. And yeah. and of course, again, this being Kane and Rince, we are absolutely not, you know, pro modern gaming over old gaming or vice versa. Mm-hmm. There were some definite pros back then like you bought a cartridge and you put it in and it worked and there were no updates and uh, no online features and no microtransactions and all that good stuff but we were miss you know missing a lot of things as well social interaction and you know other other stuff other than mm. local multiplayer yeah you know you look at games like body harvest and i'm sure there's like a, mm. a fun enjoyable game in there but you look at it now and you think wow like Look yeah. at this. Look at that. That looks so barren and there's no flavor to it, really. But in, yeah. in terms of screenshots, there's not a lot going on. And I remember there being a fun game at the time. But if you were to play mm. like, you know, a, a night's worth of Body Harvest and then put GTA mm. 5 on, you'd, yeah. be, you'd be like, wow, there's, there is a lineage there that kind of, you know, there's a thread that runs a, through yeah. that. But yeah, man, the, the, the gulf of just technology between then and now is just, and I, I do believe like the N64. And it's and it's limited capabilities. It does. It has aged worse, in my opinion, than the um, the PS One. You know, I, I, you know, I think that that's exactly why there isn't an N sixty four mini versus why there mm. is a PS One mini, which wasn't mm. well received for the most part. But at least there no. is one. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I just think the N sixty four games and its difficult nature to develop for just just led to a bunch of games that's aged very poorly. Despite they might have yeah, visually, in terms of I mean, like um. Like yep. Space Station Silicon Valley, I remember enjoying a lot, but you look at it now and you think, mm. I wouldn't even know how to have the patience to play it again because it looks it looks bad. And then the game mechanics are so obtuse that we're like well, in, <laughs> in comparison that. to modern gaming, like how would I even have the patience to work out what to do? And it's just um you know Read the manual. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I spilt Lucas aid on it. Yeah, good point. Smashed over someone's head. Yeah, so <laughs> This point in the podcast, uh, obviously, even with the limited library on the N64, there were actually less than fewer, I should say, than 200 games released in Japan for the N64. Uh, almost 300 in America, where obviously you can add a lot of uh, sports games and stuff to, to that and Western developed Guns. titles. Europe landed in the middle with 240 games released, but obviously we were missing some really cool key titles uh, such as Sin and Punishment. Anyway, mm. we've got a big old long list of games. Obviously, we won't mention every game that was ever released on the system. And we also don't want to double up on the fact that we've done two hour plus long shows on a on a number of these titles already, some of which have kind of come in as part of other series. And uh, I mean, some of them, like our Super Mario 64 show, that's about seven years old now. So we might we might find that the graphics, we might have different opinions on the way it looks and, and plays now, even uh, mm-hmm. as we've, yeah, maybe with uh, with recent innovations in, in tech and gameplay even. Uh, so, you know, who's to say we might even one day revisit some of these as we have with one game so far. But equally, we haven't got time to re-review all these games that we did to our podcasts on. But we are going to hear from Dave Parkey, 84 who says, I was 10 when I first saw an N64. I was on a family holiday in the USA with my parents and my younger brother. And as uh, as a surprise, we visited a Toys R Us store one evening after dinner. There on display was the brand new 
N64 with Super Mario 64 playing on the TV above. I remember thinking, how is that possible? Mm. A completely 3D world to explore. Truly astonishing. We'd never owned a console at this point, but my parents totally surprised us and said we could choose a console and some games. Best holiday ever. Funnily, funnily enough, they were sold out of N64s and Sega Saturns, so we ended up with a PS1. Not a loss at all, but that memory of seeing Mario 64 for the first time is still crystal clear in my mind. A few years later, we traded in our PS1 for an N64 with Mario 64, Ocarina of Time and Banjo-Kazooie. The next few months playing these games with my brother are my most cherished video gaming memories. And I think, yes, there'll be a lot of that. Uh, we did an Animal Crossing show, which was mainly focused on the first uh, GameCube one. But of course, it did start life as Animal Forest on the N64. We did a Star Fox series show. Uh, Lilac Wars, just want to mention that because it was, I think it was the first game in PAL territories that was optimized for PAL, at least visually. It was the first Nintendo game that didn't have big black borders top and bottom of the screen, but it still ran slowly. Or slower. Came a giant box, like giant box did. with a rumble pack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Banjo Kazooie and Tui. We've done a show on Rager from the forum says two of my most cherished gaming memories both involve the N64. The first involves the greatest bargain I ever had as a kid. I was 11 years old. I received a fair bit of birthday money for my 11th birthday in December 98, 60 pounds in total, which was a lot back then. I'd had an N64 since September, but only had GoldenEye and Diddy Kong Racing. Both great games, but I'd already rinsed them beyond belief and really wanted another game. I'd had my eye on Banjo-Kazooie for months and desperately coveted it. I knew where my £60 was going before I'd even received it. My mum took me down to the inside market where the local dodgy games trader Swapper had a stall, which I frequented every Saturday to drool over games I couldn't afford. <laughs> Not today, though. Today, I was buying Banjo-Kazooie. We got to the stall and I couldn't see Banjo-Kazooie anywhere. There were no other game shops in town and I felt absolutely crushed. As a last roll of the dice, I asked the stall owner when he would be getting a copy in and to my amazement, he said, we have a copy here, but unfortunately we don't have the box for it. I was overjoyed. A box didn't matter to me. Playing the game today did. I asked him how much it was without the box and he told me £30. I was gobsmacked. I only had to spend half my money to get the game I wanted. I simply had to ask, do you have any other Unbox games? Only two. He then goes on to pull out Super Mario 64 and Lilac Wars, two more games I wanted. Um, how much for these ones? £15 each. I can't adequately describe what this meant to 11-year-old me. Everyone remembers how tight money was as a kid and this felt like a bounty had been laid at my feet. I came home with three stone-cold classics, and Banjo-Kazooie was even better than I'd built up in my head. Three fantastic N64 games for £60. What a birthday! My second memory was playing Ocarina of Time for the first time. This was my first Zelda, and since playing this, it's become my favourite video game series. A friend lent me his copy of Ocarina. His save had all the Young Link dungeons complete, and he was just about to become Adult Link. After 30 minutes of playing the game, I was more absorbed than I'd ever been whilst playing a game. This game showed me that games could be so much more. My age was definitely a factor, but the game itself was also that good. A week later, I gave my friend his copy back with all the adult dungeons done. That sounds dubious. On his save file, with only 
Hyrule Castle and the fight with Ganon remaining. He wasn't too happy. <laughs> <laughs> yep, huge launch. Of course, we covered all of the Zelda games, including the two N64 ones in our series of Zelda podcasts. We covered Super Smash Brothers in a Super Smash Brothers series podcast. Was that before the Wii U and 3DS one came out? The Wii or? U one was just on the brink of right. coming out, yeah. Okay, so we may revisit that for Ultimate someday, although I doubt any of us has mm. played it to the degree that we used to play the old ones. Mm. Uh, Conquer's Bad Fur Day, Darren did that show. Yes. And also talked about the Xbox remake, of course, which you can uh, well, you can play both versions on your Xbox, which is handy. Mm. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, there were N64 versions of three of those, the first three. And we covered those in a series. Not sure if that was uh, that would have been a game where you possibly would have chosen the D pad over the. Yes. Yeah. 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 Did a bit of research. They did say the um, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater did favour the D pad. Yes. For your tricks. Because I yeah I play it on the you know the current version the Xbox version with the mm. D pad because it just makes sense, doesn't it? Blast Core. That was you as well, was it, Darren? Yeah, yeah, we. Uh, I think we've we've done a blast core show. It was ages you ago. Did. I think I remember yes. hosting it. <laughs> of course, we did a GoldenEye 007 show, a very important game to many of us, but also a game I think that's probably not misremembered. That's the wrong way of putting it, but I think a game that is. I mean, Darren, you're you're the super fan, but I like, for instance, I, I probably mentioned this on that podcast, but I have a friend who swears that it's still the best video game ever. Uh, but I don't think he's played it for 20 years. And I think yeah. if he played it now, he'd probably think that he was insane. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's got a, um, a kind of a, I can't think of the words now, like a heritage kind of a, mm. everyone's so fondly remembered of GoldenEye and the, yeah. you know, the, the split screen gaming of the time and just how kind of formative it was for many people. But yeah, if you do go back to it, the game is quite... You know, for as deep as people remember it being with like the mission objectives and stuff, it's actually mm. quite shallow in, in a lot of ways. You can easily, well, I can easily manipulate the AI and, you know, I could I could easily, you know, blast through it in a couple of hours. And people remember it as being this game that went on forever and it was really oh, yeah. hard and this and that. But like the, 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 the 360 kind of remake got fleaked in its yes. entirety. How much did you play that? Well, my laptop isn't up for it at all, so I played four oh. frames and my laptop went, oh, okay. no, wait, stop, <laughs> stop doing it now. And I was like, okay. Oh, sorry. So I'm kind sorry of, to hear that. I'm kind of hoping to, you know, bump into someone one day who's got a modded 360 with it on. You know, I'm I'm not feverish to go and play it as much as I thought I would be. And that kind of right. says to me that, you know, yeah. games have moved on and, you know, GoldenEye is a classic. But, you know, um, as a thing that kind of, if if it was to get re-released now, would it be... A sensible world of soccer again or would it actually be like a wow this is just as good as i remember it being i, I think it would be like perfect art was when that was re-released yeah. which was a bit of a damp squib like yeah. from, i bought it played it enjoyed it was glad it exists you can still get it on your xbox and that's cool but in terms of people clamoring for re-releases of these yeah. things and then ignoring them it's right up there isn't it yeah i think it would be the, the cream of the crop as well yeah dom's beard from the forum says i wanted an n64 for christmas 97 with goldeneye and asked for that and nothing else christmas morning arrived and i went down to open my presents with my 10 year old sister absolutely ecstatic when i opened up goldeneye early on knowing full well that i would get to the machine itself eventually 
However, I was struck that there was nothing N64 box shaped and my parents were never the kind to go, oh, there's one more. All presents unwrapped and no N64. I remember sitting with the box open, reading the instructions on GoldenEye, not wanting to ask where it was when my mum said, oh, your gran has bought you the computer for that. She wants you to have it for your 18th birthday. My 18th birthday was on the 30th of December. I spent Christmas Day reading the instruction booklet for GoldenEye from cover to cover. After winning £150 in vouchers in a work competition a few weeks later, I invested in another three N64 controllers to get the full GoldenEye experience. Several friends and I used to spend every free period at Sixth Form playing GoldenEye. So many hours sat, curtains closed, playing deathmatch over and over. None of us did especially well at A-levels, and that probably had a bit to do with it. Hmm. Well, I can relate to the... uh christmas sort of uh birthday thing uh but yeah i i, I feel his pain um on on that but, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah that, that, that like i oh, should have switched it over to never mind but, yeah <laughs> cool very very uh, perfect dark we did a show on that we just mentioned mm. it uh we did a tetris well, we've done two tetris shows actually and they were uh, tetris was quite well represented on uh, n64 with Tetris 64, the next Tetris, Tetris Sphere, and Mickey's Magical Tetris oh, Challenge. I love Tetris Sphere. <laughs> I love Tetris Sphere. It's one of those games that I I had on my N64 for years. I bought it when it came out, and I've kept it all the way up until recently when I had a little bit of a cull. And I, I feel bad because that game is just one of a kind. You know, it's it's mm. so bizarre, mm. and the music is just so good in a kind of a nineties you know techno pop dancey yeah, sort of way. way yeah but i love it so much and I've, i mm. used to put it on just to go what if i'm actually any good at this game yet nope i'm still not okay i'll come back to it in a year's time and see if i still like it and it's just one of those games that much like people f- are fond for wetrix and wetrix 64 that was tetris, i was just going to mention wetrix yeah the tetris fear for yeah. me was just like i want to peel back this tetris onion <laughs> and see the little creature <laughs> in the middle and free him i should have called his... it that <laughs> tetris onion <laughs> Should have been in game design. Yeah, but anyway, um, you know, I Tetrisphere and the next Tetris for me were just, you mm. know, where I played my Tetris at that time. Yeah. There was a Robotron game, which we talked about in our Robotron show. Uh, there was a Mortal Kombat trilogy version as well, which obviously had already come out on the uh, PS1 on on a disc. Um, pros and cons. But uh, our correspondent, Mirrorin, remembers Mortal Kombat trilogy and being far too young for it. Mirrorin says this was our TV console growing up and the only TV console I owned until I got my Switch 20 years later. I had to go to my friends' houses to play Sega or PlayStation, but I was pretty okay with the situation because I loved our N64 and at the time I couldn't conceive of ever getting bored of it. Games were expensive for me and my sister as two kids in the 90s also wanting to buy CDs and videos and Pokemon cards. So we had a handful of N64 games that we played incessantly for years and years until we knew them back to front. N64 was also the console of how to make friends with the kids of your parents' friends. Whenever our parents' friends came round and brought their kids and a group of us all at different ages were ordered to go somewhere else and get along, we'd just end up sitting in front of the TV playing multiplayer N64 games for hours. There were lots of games on this console perfect for kids at different ages. My absolute favourite N64 memory, however, is playing the incredibly age-inappropriate Mortal Kombat trilogy, which my pretty hands-off parents let us all play when we were far too young. 
Me and my best friend were obsessed with the game. As well as almost wearing out his game cartridge, which we shared, we would play imaginary MK story games. Kitana, Melina, Jade and Raiden were our characters of choice. We would read the character descriptions in the game in a very earnest way. The game almost definitely did not intend. And his mum even telephoned my mum for permission to let me watch the MK movie at his house, rated 15, etc. He even texted me this week to demand I drop everything and watch the new MK movie trailer. Holidays with his family in Wales consisted largely of us kids playing tournament mode and getting into squabbles when someone won by playing as Shiva and cheating by fluking with the up-down, up-down jump smashy move. If someone offered me an N64 with an MK Trilogy cartridge today, I'd immediately drop all my other games to play. That's how potent the nostalgia is for me. I've never found another fighting game that has scratched the itch for a fighting game as happy as MK Trilogy made me as a nine-year-old. So the N64 is mainly that game for me. Probably a fairly unique situation. Uh, yeah. Yes, we did do a, a, a Mortal Kombat first trilogy show, including that game. We'll talk a little more about N64 fighters in a bit. Uh, other games we've covered are Mario Kart 64, of course, and 1080 Snowboarding, which we loved. Uh, Rampage World Tour came in our Rampage show and Worms Armageddon. Of course, there had to be a Worms game. There was a Curious Space Invaders game on the N64. Pilot Wings, we've mentioned. Diddy Kong Racing, of course. Donkey Kong 64, we've mentioned. Paper Mario, we covered last year, I think. Jet Force Gemini, that was another Darren joint. Mm. Uh, Rock Hard, that's my main. And <laughs> Tribals, just go and listen to that podcast. And as Chris mentioned, Duke Nukem 64 came in our Duke Nukem 3D show. The censored version. Uh, Wave Race 64 is our very next podcast recording next weekend at the time uh, of speaking. We're also going to cover the GameCube game and Quake we're covering later this year. So no doubt a mention of what they did with Quake N64 style in that one. Launch lineups wise, well, Japan got Pilot Wing 64, Super Mario 64 and a Shoggy game. Saikyo Habu Shoggy didn't make its way over here. In fact, the North American launch consisted of just two titles, Pilot Wings and Super Mario 64. By the time European launch rolled around, we had, oh goodness me, FIFA Soccer 64, which I never had, but uh. boy, oh boy, it looked so poor compared to, even. I mean, this was a bad time for FIFA anyway. Mm. FIFA, FIFA 97 was notoriously the, the series nadir up to this point. But FIFA Soccer 64, that was one ugly football game as far as I was concerned. Terrible. Yeah. Like FIFA 97 on the PS1 was a more preferable football yeah. game. And that's yeah, us. I mean, it's, EA's never really got on with Nintendo, has it? Not so much. <laughs> no, really? they, they did release a few things this time around, which is more than they did on the next gen. Yeah. But, uh, but yes, they, they weren't. They did Beetle Adventure Racing. Don't. That was EA. Yeah. Yeah. Cult I classics. See. I think yeah. that's triple A right there. Mm -hmm. Was that Par were Paradigm involved in that? That sounds yeah, right. Yeah they, yeah. yeah. they did that. Uh, speaking of Paradigm, they were responsible for the code for Pilot Wing 64, which we talked about on that show. We've already mentioned Star Wars Shadows of the Empire a lot. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was a system seller, at least to Jay. Uh, and I think, I think a few other people as well, because yeah, yeah that Hoth level. What else was there on the consoles, though? Do you know what I mean? Like, Star yeah. Wars on consoles. What, mm. what? There was nothing on PS1 at that time, right? No. My, Maybe Dark well, Forces? 
No, yeah. There was the Terakazi fighter. Okay. Oh, that's true. Yeah, don't yeah. don't go. That there, was the cause... year. That was the following year, I think. Um, yeah, I think. But yeah. Yeah, but um, I, what I've realised is, for me, the N64 was essentially as as much as it was a kind of rare shooter game as well. It was a Star Wars console for me. <laughs> I mean, rogues. I mean, it started with shadows, but then Rogue Squadron and and um, Episode One Racer on on that system. Yes, yeah, sure. And then Battle for um, Naboo, which was the Episode One themed follow up to Rogue Squadron. But I was less infused because it wasn't X Wings; it was uh, yeah. Naboo. Weird, pointy yellow ships. But it yep. did have the uh, Rogue Squadron did have that fantastic locked away uh, secret that they kept. Uh, until the release of the Phantom Menace for a year, yeah. they sat on the code that the Naboo Starfighter was actually in the game, oh. which I thought was which was neat. Obviously, Super Mario 64. Uh, Wayne Gretzky's 3D hockey. Now, mm. the one thing I really remember about this, I do love uh, a good ice hockey game. I used mm. to be mad for EA's NHL series back in the day, although obviously it's kind of left me behind now. But I remember, does anyone else remember when they were talking about the future of Ultra 64? One of the things they were saying that was cool about all the multicolored controllers was that the console would recognize or the game would recognize the color of controller you'd plugged in and so it would make your icon under the player in say wayne gretzky's 3d hockey the color of your controller which didn't happen but it was a nice idea <laughs> it was a nice idea i don't remember no, that it, marketing. it was it was followed up with the playstation though wasn't it PlayStation Four, yeah, yeah, yeah. with the lights, yeah, yeah. just lights, just yeah. twenty just twenty years later, yeah. Only took only twenty years to figure it out. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> nice idea. I quite enjoyed Wayne Gretzky 3D hockey. Um, I, th- I thought that was you know for the time that was because I used to be a big fan of Blades of Glory on the oh on yeah the, on the NES. I, I get it confused yeah. with that film with the Will yes. Ferrell man, um, Blades of Steel. Yeah, so I don't know that they're, they're very Blades of Fury maybe or something like that. But yeah, mm. Wayne Gretzky's 3D Hockey and the, the Mega Drive NHL PA oh, 95 yeah. where you smashed a window above the goal net. Oh, yeah. But yeah, Wayne Gretzky 3D Hockey for me was a, was a good time while it lasted. It, it was very short-lived, but we had a good time with it. You know we've got NHL 94 on our Xboxes, by the way, Darren. Oh, with that new, that new revised one, is it? Yeah, it's just, it's just the Mega Drive game. Oh, yes, I am checking that out. You can download that. Yes, please. Uh, Turok, yes. So I remember Turok wasn't there on launch night. Uh, I think it, they, they just hadn't had their shipment or something. Uh, so, But it came out in the launch window. So I think it mm. arrived in that shop later that week. And somehow, I have no idea how, because I didn't even have a credit card at this point, I managed to find the uh, $69.99 and plus whatever else for a memory yeah. pack to to buy it didn't they get done for price fixing was, was that yeah relatively nintendo recently were, right? they were no, nintendo because i think it was this period where they were yes it was in n64 where the eu successfully sued nintendo for price gouging mm. well i'm sure it's to do with the disparity between you know mario 64 and turok the price differences were just ridiculous mm-hmm. i remember walking into hmv and like turok was I think it was seventy nine ninety nine. I remember it being that high. I remember seeing sevens yeah. on it, or being you know sixty. Mm. Yeah, I remember thinking Why it was sixty nine for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe the shops just inflated it because of it was hard to get hold of or something. But yeah. I remember it edging the um the eighty pound mark, thinking really, yeah, really. And we still haven't done a podcast on the Turok games. Maybe we will someday. You can play them thanks to Night Dive Studios on on some modern systems, and uh, it 
tidies up some of the issues. But I mainly remember falling off platforms and having to do long sections again and not really being able to see. The animations oh. and the weapons were great, but um, but boy, oh boy, it was a tough, it's a I tough play. I did stream it recently. It's just no. It has not. It, no. Yeah, no. John Linneman is a big fan. He uh, he considers it a proto uh, Metroid Prime game, which I yeah. which I can see. I can see that. The, the thing with for me playing Chirok recently, the the original Chirok Dinosaur Hunter on the Xbox, was that it asked you to find these keys in these yes. massive levels. Yes. And if you were to miss the key that you needed to unlock by pressing a pedestal to open the next level, you'd have yes. to replay the level again. And that's right. You know, whereas Metroid is more of, um, you know, and obviously Metroid Prime is a game decades after Turok. So therefore it has the, the ability to see what Turok did and failed at, in my opinion. But yeah, Turok for me, it's kind of, I don't know, man, it just goes and the levels meander and they, they, you know, it's got a cool atmosphere and a cool vibe, you know, it's got mm. the, the, the Cherokee thing going for it. Um, but the, but the main protagonist and you know the dinosaurs and the the guy with the neck spurt in when i first shot a guy oh in the yeah neck and the, the blood or the ink or the oil popped out in the german version <laughs> yeah that's plugging right. the n64 german console i think the me. second game they actually used mocap for as well the uh although i think oh, the first they, game was animate yeah. a keyframe and again like the second game was more directed but even the levels in that were just oh way too long turok lost uh, they even made the, the the night dive studios people even made some actual tweaks to the levels in those versions because mm. they just said there's nothing here so we're going to just remove that chunk <laughs> for <laughs> for the sake of the player's sanity. Uh, Jay, you were you a Turok guy? You, those are the sorts yeah, of games I've, you'd have I've, played on N64. They were. I got the first one as part of the package, so that saved me. Probably a substantial amount of money. Absolutely. Um, I I don't know if it would have been a game that I would have bought anyway. Mm. But playing that was enough for me to pick up the sequel when it came out. Yeah. Did you uh, manage Seeds to get your evil. way through them? Like most people, never finish those. I'd games. have to check the. I'd have to go. I'd have to put. To be honest, I can't remember. Like I. Because I, you're quite. Yeah. You know, you're very diligent and committed. Once you get into something. Yeah. Once I get into a game, I'll, I'll probably see it through. But I do suspect there was there was. Tight. Maybe not so much with the first one. Probably more so with the second one because it, it, I I think it was generally better received and was a better game. But I could be wrong about mm. that because I haven't played it in twenty years. Mm. So yeah. um, they released four it, of them in the end, didn't they? Four yeah, they were games. Yeah, yeah. Four. including oh, no, multiplayer one only. Three sixty as well, and another one later. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. been there's been a and lot. There was also a kind of. Uh, a pseudo spin-off called Armarines on the um oh, come God, out on other yeah. consoles as well, but it was primarily on the N sixty four. It was like Starship Troopers, oh, but it was awful. unofficial. <laughs> it was all honestly, it was it was the one of the worst games I played on the machine, alongside wow. South Park, which is obviously running on the Turk engine. South Park yes, South Park Rally, not even worse. Anyway, we'll oh. come on to turkeys because it's always a fun section it's later. Turkeys, especially if the whole game's filled with turkeys. That is it true. Is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the best-selling game in the system, and we should say this was uh, the first uh, Nintendo. Well, it was the first console for a while that had didn't have a pack-in game, so there was no. It wasn't like the Super Mario World bundle. There was no Super Mario sixty-four bundle. It was just you bought the console and you bought your game separately. So even though Super Mario sixty-four ended up with a a near one-to-one attach rate, mm. uh, it was 
uh, it was separate sold separately yeah so that was the best-selling game followed by mario kart 64 then goldeneye then ocarina of time uh, and then some other of the usual suspects you'd expect uh, other highly rated games on the system included F-Zero X, mm. a Nintendo first party joint, of course. Jobo Bonobo says F-Zero X was a portal to me, for me, to one of the N64's most memorable features, its legendary multiplayer. Mm. A friend of mine would often come with his two controllers so he could spend countless evenings playing F-Zero X, International Superstar Soccer 64, Mario Kart 64, Pokemon Stadium, Mario Party and Conker's Bad Fur Day. There were so many great memories associated with all of these, whether it was the battle mode on Mario Kart, waging war on Conker, or celebrating alongside the demented commentator whenever we scored a goal in ISS 64. So Chris said, uh, not uh, wasn't a multiplayer thing for you. Uh, definitely was for Darren with LucasAid around the head. Uh, for me, absolutely loads of multiplayer sessions of uh, GoldenEye. And also, yeah, the multiplayer components. This was back in the day before uh, multiplayer components just seemed like a sort of lazy joke, box-ticking exercise, when you would try to wring out every bit of possible enjoyment by playing the multiplayer on something like Lilat Wars for a while. Um, and yeah, we definitely played some F-Zero X, uh, but yeah, I think I played it a lot more in single player uh, it was a game that um we again we're likely to cover it at some point but it was a game that sacrificed amazing visual fidelity for a high frame rate and so it was uh, an unusual n64 game in that i think it runs at 60 frames a second possibly 30 in multiplayer uh, Mario Golf and Tennis, both by Camelot, yep. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, these were absolutely wonderful packages, I thought. Mm -hmm. Day one purchases for me. Uh -huh. Huge amounts of content. Very challenging games, ultimately, as well. Lots of extra content and mini games and fun as well. Mm -hmm. Again, Mario Tennis multiplayer was a joy. And the golf, actually. Uh, so, yeah, I have huge fond memories of those. I think, uh, obviously, they've been sequeled. I think at least one of them came to virtual console yeah i think mario tennis uh, 64 has made its way and mario golf i think i think they're both have yeah actually. you're right they did yeah and you know they've had game boy counterparts they've had GameCube yes. counterparts and yes. uh, we're on the brink of a new one for the switch yeah the the mm. wii u tennis game was limp uh for in my opinion the 3ds golf game was good yeah. Uh, yeah so they've you know they've had up and down experiences for me but i'm always eager to check them out again because i want to kind of recapture that you know for me mario tennis on the 64 was i preferred it to the gamecube one but yes golf yeah. on the n64 i didn't find it was good but i found the gamecube one to be better so yeah you know again um but they didn't mm. have a mario strikers on the n64 which is no you know wasn't uh, invented yet no it wasn't mm. yeah so <laughs> But yeah, Mario Sports is always a, a good time, I think. In the years after first Super Mario 64 and then Banjo-Kazooie, obviously this was a multi-format game, but came and did well on the N64, was Rayman 2, The Great mm. Escape. We've covered yeah. a few Rayman games, but uh, I've never actually played this one. I know Tony absolutely loves this one. I've tried to play Rayman 2 and 3 many times, and I just can't, can't do it. I, I, I don't really find the fun. No. Oh, it remind, they remind me of Crash Bandicoot in a, in a way. Yeah, I'm okay. Not really, not really interested. I can, 
I can understand that. Mm. They re-released three in an HD format on Xbox 360 and yeah. PS3, but two got ignored for some reason. So I don't know what the deal with that is. Yeah. Has it got a licensed song in it or something? I don't know, really. It's hard to know, isn't it? Um, but speaking of Ubisoft platform games, they released one on the N64 called Tonic Trouble. Oh yes, that was, I was going to. I meant to put that in my little list of fun, funny three D platforms. Because yeah, I remember <laughs> on the aforementioned Michael Wong, I used to go to his house or his chip shop house flat uh, before oh, school every day. The smell of chips. Uh, honestly, the walls were like almost greasy. It was, it was strange. <laughs> but you know, awesome. um, he used to have this thing on. He used to have like a kind of a bootleg because he was this kind of guy who knew how to get stuff for free. You know, he was mm-hmm. like, oh, I've got this kind of bootleg skybox, and you can watch weird channels. <laughs> right. And it used to, I don't know what it was, but we used to watch this thing in the mornings and it used to just play trailers of games endlessly over and over and over again. And it kind of, you'd, huh. it was almost like a bad radio station, but for trailers. Is it you, Ginks you, TV, early Ginks TV or something? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd turn it on and you'd be like, right, it's, it's almost half eight. Let's watch, the, you know, you knew what was coming. And the Tonic Trouble trailer, I've seen more than I ever thought I would. And um, yeah, I don't ever want to watch it again because the game looked <laughs> awful uh we mentioned beetle adventure racing a really fondly remembered kind of cult classic i don't think it was like a technical tour de force or anything it just had a great sense of fun and the the, the key was the word adventure in there so it was yeah. a game a, a, a car game that encouraged you to ex- explore a bit yeah you know you, it was a traditional racing game but after a while you'd start poking around the shortcuts and they'd unlock new things you know there was no hub world like diddy kong racing that i recall no, no uh, i don't know, think so no. but the actual tracks themselves did feature you know an adventure-esque nature in a way that you know i wasn't really expecting despite the name being what it is it was just like oh yeah this is this is decent you know for a third party game at this point you were kind of writing off most third party yeah, stuff just sure. like Pfft. but then yeah this came out of nowhere and you're like cool yeah i'm down for this and it was a it was a good time EA did something on N64. Mm. Following, well, I think of it as the sort of, sort of third part of a trilogy, but it's not really. But I think of it as following up Wave Race and uh, 1080 was Excite Bike 64, mm. which was obviously a 3D reimagining of the old uh, NES and arcade machine, Excite Bike. I did, I bought, bought this new and I was hoping I would love it as much as the aforementioned, but. Um, it was i found it quite tough and it's really it was, hard yeah it was really hard wasn't yeah, it and it, it was, was also very 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 brown very brown <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i i did like it but you're right it's i like the concept of it but the execution it didn't really it it, it didn't have the soul of the original side bike and it sort of missed mr mark yeah it had a good hill climb mode that i really enjoyed i remember oh, yeah. trying to climb up this well obviously there's this hill but you know it's more of a mountain than a hill and uh, yeah, yeah you have to kind of balance your bike all the way up in a trials-esque fashion i guess yes. but just yeah. constantly mm. going up yeah it was it was good fun but yeah hmm. um i remember ea actually on the gamecube and ps2 making a game called freak style which is what i wanted excite excite bike 64 to be oh, I see. You know, it's kind of ea big you know everything's weird yeah oh yeah it's, it's a tricky big yeah it's like one of those but <laughs> with motorbikes so yeah gotcha now, I am absolutely the opposite of the wrestling guy, but I understand, based on Metacritic and other services, that WWF No Mercy mm. it, it was considered one of the finest wrestling games around for a long time. Oh, I don't know, man. No Mercy was good, but 
What was the, better? The, the ones before it were called WCW versus NWO. Oh, they right. were like okay. they were like the, the prequel, the precursors to this. Sure, uh, but they're all made by the same developer, Jukes or Jukes, depends how you want to pronounce it. And uh, Jukes, they, yeah, people seem to be clamoring for that style, this grapple, because it wasn't really wrestling; it was just grappling and then like <laughs> just rolling around and just pinning your mat, you know, your mate to the floor, and just that sounds of... like wrestling to me, apart from the acting. But yeah, like wrestling is like bouncing off of ropes and leaping oh, off of corners yeah. and doing okay. backflips and you know fireworks. Yeah. This was just like. No, every kind of interaction, not every, but like nine out of ten interactions was you pressing the B button to grapple them on the shoulders. And whoever made the, the best button presses would be on top of the grapple. It was more oh, of a, okay. you know, like wrestling in like the Olympics where it's just grappling and like, yeah, yeah. you know, like technical, almost yeah. rubbing each other with clothes. Or the on. floor gaming, because the Ukes went on to make the, the not the EA ones, but the earlier UFC games, didn't they? Oh, right, okay, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah I didn't know that. But yeah, yeah, they were very much grapple games with a wrestling skin, and I played so much of these. And I tried the PS1 games at the time, and they were like, they were a bit too more fluid, I guess is the word, and people prefer that. But for me, I was like, no, thank you. I prefer my grapply nonsense <laughs> of, you know, macho men in tight pants. And yeah, yeah like they're, they're nipple tweaking. Yeah, they were, they were good. good fun. Um. I think it it kind of lost its way. They did a WrestleMania game, WrestleMania 2000, mm. and that's where I kind of lost track of it all. But yeah, no, yeah, um, the, yeah, like WCW, NWO, and then they had World Tour after that, and then it went onto actual WWF, and that's kind of where I started falling off because I didn't really care about The Rock and Steve Austin and that. I yeah. just wanted to just you know just grapple a man, just grapple, <laughs> just grappling. Uh, and if there's one kind of game I sort of associate, which is a bit of a, almost a sort of running gag about the N64, it is the mediocre Me Too 3D platformer. Uh, Glover is like the poster child for such things. And I believe he's getting an HD remake or something. Is that right? Um, if I imagine that. God, Kickstarter probably. Yeah, probably. Get and Buck it. Bumble, that's another one. Uh, and have and you the heard aforementioned the song to Buck Bumble. Have you heard the, the, ch- the theme tune to Buck Bumble? Not recently. Mate, it's it's one of a kind for a very <laughs> obvious reason yeah. when you start listening to it. Um, but yeah, man. Is that, what, is that what we're closing the show with? Then? Can be. Oh, please, You're please. the editor. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I'll yeah. find it for you. It's wicked. Um, can you have I have I missed any out of the of that of that sort of I mean, weird? You had Gex 3D, which is a oh portal. Gex, yes, Gex 3D multi format probably. Yeah, um, I don't know, man. There was a lot. There was a lot of garbage on there in terms <laughs> of me too. But I don't know. Like this is going to sound really knobbish, but because you had games like Banjo Kazooie that just raised the bar. Oh yeah, game, games like Gex 3D, which was a PS One game, which kind of stood out on the PS One. Sure. For me, like it kind of like Gex 3D fell by the wayside because Banjo Kazooie was so good. And totally, I, yeah. I, I don't, in my personal opinion, I don't think the PS1 had a Banjo Kazooie for comparisons. You know what I mean? What do you mean? What about Croc Legend of the Gobbos? <laughs> well, that kidding. rejected Yoshi game. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> or Spyro. Oh, well. Yeah. Spyro's Dusk got versus... his fans, right? But it does. Yeah. It does. I mean, it got really a nice remake. Remember? They, they nice redid re- it. I know. Yeah. Three of them. I found it just as barren then. Dusk versus Tweak from the forum says, we got an N64 for Christmas 98 with Ocarina of Time. This was my first experience with that console generation. I didn't play a lot of games at friends' houses, N64 or otherwise. So 
When the game opened with that first-person view of Navi's flight through the forest, I was floored. It felt like my whole world was changing. I'm not sure I've had an eye-opening experience like that in gaming since. I love my 64, and it's where I experience new genres of games. GoldenEye was my first FPS, Ogre Battle 64 was my first tactics game, and it felt like the N64 was my first experience with party games. With those four controller slots, Mario Party, Pokemon Stadium, Smash Brothers were late night staples with friends and family. And I'm not sure I ever felt like I wasted a weekend rental the way I did after borrowing Superman. Maybe the games haven't aged as gracefully as other generations, but 25 years later I find myself being pulled back to it again. Watching friends stream games I missed back in the day like Doom 64 and Shadow Man has me thinking I might have a bit of unfinished business with that console, and I wouldn't mind that being the case at all. After all, I never did get round to Glover. Uh, and yeah, the fighting game situation was notoriously bleak on the N64 after the Super Nintendo being the original home home of Street Fighter 2. This time around, all the fighting games went to Saturn. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, and PlayStation as well. Meanwhile, over on the N64, if you wanted a fighting game, obviously Killer Instinct Gold came out and there was the Mortal Kombat trilogy. But beyond that, it was pretty slim pickings, right? Uh, Fighter's Destiny is a name that rings yeah. bell. That game was okay. It had its, yeah. you know, for, in a, in a roundabout way. Was it Tekken way. 3, well, though? Well, that's what I was going to say. The PS1 had Tekken <laughs> and it raised the bar. The N64 yeah. didn't have its Tekken. Was it like, Virtua Fighter 2? No. No, 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 not at all. But for the N64, in a way that Spyro was good on the PS1, Fighter's sure. Destiny was all right, right. on the N64. It had, it's got a hybrid heaven look about it. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, Mace the Dark Age, anyone? Uh, I mean, people like Mace in a way that I will never understand. They do. I've got they? this. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned it earlier. Ever played yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, I've probably looked at it yeah. for 30 seconds. You're not a big fighting rip- game guy anyway. Um, it'd be interesting. You should. What you should do is a side-by-side, because I know you just got Guilty <laughs> Gear, Exerd, yeah. uh, Se- Second Rev or whatever it's called. Um Look at the graphics on that compared to the the Mace of the Dark Age visuals and see which you prefer. Clay mm. Fighters, 63 and a third, probably also belongs in the turkeys list from what I understand, never never having played it. Uh, I think Biofreaks might get an appearance in that as well. Darren, uh, you, you've added Biofreaks. Does that mean you've actually sold it? Biofreaks is like Mace of the Dark Age's cousin. It's garbage, okay. in my opinion. <laughs> they may be fans of Biofreaks. Uh, of course, Mortal Kombat entered into the, the realms of 3D at this point, and you got a Mortal Kombat 4 on uh, on N64, which I'd completely forgotten about. I've uh, also added Earthworm Jim 64 to the list, by the way. Earthworm Jim 3D, I think you'll find. Oh, excuse me, sir. The <laughs> uh, <that> game <laughs> is still rubbish, regardless of the name. I think it's in the turkeys list, isn't it? Well, maybe it, it, anyway. Uh, and the, on the cute Japanese front, there was a game called Rakuga Kids. Or, I'm not sure how you... Yeah. yeah. People Good like that game. one. Yes. Yeah. Jobo Bonobo from the forum says, in hindsight, the N64 was far from perfect. Its lack of third party support resulted in a very impoverished library in comparison to the PS1. And the system was almost completely void of certain genres such as RPGs and fighters, especially compared to what was on the Super Nintendo. There was also a real paucity of 2D titles at the time due to the mistaken belief of both game publishers and the press that 2D was now completely outdated and could be resigned to the dustbin of history, an attitude that I am delighted to see 
be completely absent nowadays. Mm. But despite its relatively small library, there are a lot of stone-cold classics on this machine, and four-player multiplayer ensured that the N64 could stand out from the competition as the ultimate party machine. The N64 has had a massive impact on the games industry and was the origin of many of the things that we take for granted nowadays in modern gaming. On a more personal note, it has to this day greatly influenced my gaming preferences. I will always prefer local multiplayer over online shenanigans. Open world 3D platformers are still a genre that is among my favourites and I like my racing games arcadey. The innovations introduced on the N64 enabled gaming to handle the third dimension more smoothly than it could before. These radical changes, along with the blossoming of new genres and more mature st storytelling on the PS1, combined to make the fifth generation one of the most exciting periods of gaming, and one that is unlikely to be replicated in the future. I'm just glad I was there to witness it all. I agree. I just, um, yeah, absolutely. I just want to say something about the genres and which were well represented and what they, which ones weren't. He's bang on about RPGs. Mm. Now, remember, I, my N64 was anchored around the single-player experience, which is a bit odd considering you had four ports in front of it, but let's put that aside. So I was looking for games like that that were deep and complex, you know, and, uh, you know, Command & Conquer on it wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't the same as... Yeah, there were a few PC ports that were, you know, yeah, passable. It wasn't, wasn't terrible. Um, but, you know, for, for RPGs, for, mm. a, you know... I get, I know, uh, Square had moved on to the PlayStation with its stuff. So had most of the others. Yeah, yeah. Just CD made perfect sense for, for RPGs. Um, so, yeah, they pretty much all jump ship to... But I'm just looking over at my shelf now, mm. and there's two RPGs up there. There's one called uh, Holy Magic Century. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's, that's up there. And there's also uh, Aiden Chronicles, Aiden the first Chronicles. mate. <laughs> totally forgotten yeah. that existed. Yeah. You've not got That's... Quest 64? That's on the turkeys list. That's <laughs> on the turkeys list, so no. Um, but I think both of those are passable. I know Aiden's barely. Aiden. It's, it's, it's right. Yeah. That That's against. a blast from the past. Yeah. Yeah, that didn't but... come up in my research. That's how, that's how niche yeah. that one is. Uh, and it's there. I'm looking at it now. But, sure. Um, I've actually saw someone stream it, and it's basically long, long, very long, too long, lots of filler, lots of grinding. Mm. But it's still, it's not a JRPG, though. It's, it's an action RPG. Mm. Um, but uh, that's, that's a, like, it's interesting. That the, that's about the machine, it. Yeah, it's, it's really the only two I can think of that are notable RPGs on, mm. on the system, which is incredible. Uh, but then again, if you look at the number of games that were released in, in Japan, it's like Under less, 200. I didn't know this. Yeah, it was like much, much less, almost a hundred less games yep. than they were in in, in Europe and in the West. I did not know that. Yeah, so that's, that's no, N64 explains. did well better in America than it did in Japan. It was mm. uh, pretty much a, a failure in Japan. But the driving mm. game genre, we haven't spoken about that much, and that's a bit odd. I hope we're going to get to that eventually. But uh, that I loved the F1 games. I thought, yeah, really the paradigm ones, ones. Mm -hmm. really good. Yeah, and, they were um, they were a bit more um, hardcore than the, uh, the 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 bizarre creations one on the on the PS PS one, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then of course they had some rally, really good, really good rally games as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Top Gear Rally one and two, which seemed to be okay. Which they did a Top Gear oh. Overdrive where the game the cars got a bit silly, they had teeth and stuff like that. 
Yeah, I was thinking um, more V Rally. That that was good. V Rally was V-Rally yeah, 99 think, was good. PS One port though, really, isn't it? I think that was the better version, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, the the N sixty four driving games, they were the, for me. It was always the PlayStation where you'd get your you know your your actual mm. driving kicks from in terms of Gran Turismo. Yes. But there was a Gran Turismo killer on the horizon. I can't oh, remember yeah. the name. GT no. Championship was it called or something? Mm, like that. There's always one like that. Yeah, uh, yeah you know, and there was a uh, decent uh, Ridge Racer conversion, which obviously yeah. utilised the analog stick Ridge Racer mm-hmm. sixty four. Again, missing some of the sort of key features of the PlayStation game, but uh, had some merit in its own right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think it was a disaster, um, especially when you factor if you factor in all racing games, and then you you can factor in ten eighty and Wave Race and F zero um, rather than car games. You you know talking about racing games then. Um, it was no, it's a good not too bad. I, I, and the rubble it the, with the rumble pack, it worked very well, especially the F1 games. You Those tell, F1 you know. games were sought after. If you got one in the shop, it was mm. gone within you know minutes because it was just they, like, wow, look at the replays. Not made in large amounts for some reason. Mm. Is that right? I don't know. I mean, it, it, seems to, it seems to sell a lot whenever we had it. Maybe it was like it's hard to tell really but maybe in america it wasn't widely produced because it's f1 and over here it was but it, it always yeah. seemed to be around but it always left the shop as soon as it came right. in yeah very good, ian, games. Very good. Yeah. ian ian ianson from the forum says as a 13 year old the run-up to the nintendo 64 launch was the most excited i have ever been for a console launch I remember painstakingly creating a one-to-one scale papier-mâché model of the console from all the various graphics and photos in Edge and other magazines. A similarly enthusiastic new friend of mine begged me to let him have it so he could keep it on top of his bedroom telly. I'm glad I let him as he turned out to be an extremely lucky friend whose parents brought, bought him basically anything he wanted. This meant that a mere day or two after the US launch, I was top of the list to be invited round to play on his freshly imported, incredibly expensive wonder console. This was the first time I had seen an NTSC console running in the flesh and through a SCART S-video cable on a lovely Sony television to boot. It was revelatory. We ended up doing a full two-day sleepover binge on Super Mario 64, still my favourite game of all time and made similar efforts to do the same each time he got a new game release imported on day one. It really was an amazing few months. Unfortunately, the UK launch arrived when my own family's financial situation was particularly dire, so there was no way of getting hold of one. I had a plan, though. I entered a competition in N64 magazine to design a dino boss for Turok and win a console with a copy of said game. I went all in and essentially produced a multi-page design document complete with wireframe, untextured and textured drawings of the beast. A full design for the boss arena, the works. It took me days and cost me a small fortune to send in the mail, but it would be worth it. Surely I would win. When the issue announcing the winners finally hit the shelves, I was crushed. A very amateurish drawing of a T-Rex with what looked like some tin foil stuck on its head won the top prize. I can only assume my entry was lost in the mail, or they thought my mum helped me to do it and threw it angrily in the bin. Or it was so painfully unoriginal a design that no amount of effort or artistic chops on my end could overcome it. It wasn't until a few years later I got a second-hand N64 of my own, and so I largely missed out on all the shared Mario Kart and Goldeneye excitement of my peers. But there was still plenty of fun to be had. I particularly enjoyed lazily gliding my way through Pilot Wings 64. 
I really love the console still. Looking at it now, I really enjoy the contrast between the excellently sketchy graphics of the PlayStation and Saturn, which seem to crackle and fizz onto the screen, as if passing through some Neuromancer-style hack deck, and those of the N64, which look to almost ooze and bleed onto a CRT, giving them a lovely, smudgy, oil pastel look. I really miss when the graphics of rival consoles were so distinct from each other. I like that. Uh, I thought he there. was going to say, he sent it in, he thought he got lost in the post, but when he started playing Turok, or whatever, like the, the <laughs> oh, boss was in wow. the game. They stole my idea! <laughs> Yeah, that would, have been a, that would have been a Khan screaming moment, wouldn't it? But there it is. Yeah. A hell of a twist. <laughs> uh, funnily enough, our correspondent there does actually now work for one of the biggest game studios in the world in an art capacity. So Get that boss in, in there, boy. He won in the end. <laughs> Body Harvest we mentioned. Yes, uh, a prototype, sort of, of, uh, of GTA from the same people. Uh, there was some 3D Castlevania, one that was... Uh, <laughs> Followed up by another, but the second one it com- included the first game with a lot of fixes. Oh, have you played either of them? Yes, I played them both back in the day. <laughs> they were rubbish. I hate to use the word rubbish, but I'm just so tired I can't think of any different words. It's but Castlevania, man. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, they should be in the turkey section. My no, 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 <laughs> no, no. Let's not go uh, that far. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, Space Station Silicon Valley you mentioned, which is uh, yeah an interesting title. Uh, was that DMA as well? So that was the. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think that was a DMA joint. Mm. Uh, Doom sixty four, which you can happily now play for very little money on contemporary systems, which right. is great. Yeah. Uh, there was Forsaken from Acclaim. There was mm, another game weird, that this makes game. me think of. Descent. Uh, Descent. Descent. That's right. Yeah, it was Descent. sort of Descent clonish. Um, Descent colours is how I describe it. This has almost also had a, a remaster, which is available on PC, but not console, yep. I think. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, the successor to Harvest Moon came to N64, simply Harvest Moon 64. There was a Tomb Raider-like game called Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. US only release? Didn't come out in PAL territories. No, uh, no. Again, I have a... F- I think um, the PC version is on good old games, so yeah. there are ways of yeah. playing this. Obviously, uh, we talked about this in in another show, but there is a remarkable, for lots of reasons, port of Resident Evil 2 because they kind of did the impossible. Uh, There's a great video on that out there on YouTube if you seek it out. We've mentioned those Star Wars games. Episode 1 Racer you can also now play on Xbox uh, and other consoles, and it looks really old, but, uh, but it's still quite fun, I think. Uh, one of my favourites, Mystical mm. Ninja starring Goemon or mm. Gambari Goemon something something subtitle. Uh, Quiet Paul from the forum says, a game I'd love to see on current gen hardware is Mystical Ninja starring Goemon. Although Ocarina of Time may be the historical 3D adventure game that everyone knows and loves, a lesser known title from earlier that same year came out that has much of its own merits in 3D adventure history. Taking place in the whole of Japan, it has towns, mountains, open greenlands and deserts, NPCs and enemies, a dragon, dungeons and bosses, four playable ninjas with their own stories and styles, an amazing OST, and a story where you don't just save the damsel, you save the whole country from a group of villainous theatrical producers trying to turn (laughs) Japan into a stage for their musical show. 
I mean, if this brief synopsis isn't enough to get you interested, then I doubt this game would be for you. I don't necessarily have a specific memory with this game. Maybe the elation of beating the first giant mech boss, the wartime kabuki robot, Kashiwagi, as I seem to struggle with it. This is definitely one of my favourite games on the N64. It's my, bizarre. Mine too. It is. Uh, the soundtrack is amazing. Mm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dungeon music is uh, layer upon layer. So you start off and it just kind of starts with rhythm. And then as you solve the puzzles in these Zelda-esque dungeons, it layers on keyboards and other instruments and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I completed it one day. It's like not a very long game. Oh, really? But, I remember it being really long. I think it was like, a long day. It was probably like a 10-hour day or something. It was, like but, the long, was it like a, the, the summer's day that lasts the longest, like the longest yeah, day? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I see what you're saying. But yeah, I, I picked this up with no idea what it was. I remember saving all my lunch money. You know, I'm not buying lunch today because I'm going to save up and pay it up, you know, get it. And I picked it up. And just that first time you um you fight in the big robot. And just just before that, they do like a sing and dance Going you now, take a chance. Oh, yeah. I, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, yeah, Gambara Gaman, an interesting series. Quite hard to uh, play a lot of the games in the West, but uh, maybe we'll revisit that in the future. I can, I can still hear the town music in my head, and I've only played it once. Yes, I've got it. I've got it there too. <laughs> Mario Party's uh, the first three. The first one killed your hand and your controller, and the second two were... Still just the same kind of blend of cruelty and luck. There was a Kirby game uh, following on from his uh, handheld and Famicom adventures and Super Nintendo adventures. Pokemon Snap, of course, a bit Mm. of a cult classic that is now finally getting a sequel on the Switch decades later. Hooray! Uh, Pokemon Stadium, as we've mentioned. Pokemon Puzzle League was essentially a reskin of Panel Dupont, Tetris Attack. Uh, Yoshi's Story was that weird, quirky... I think people were let down by Yoshi's Story because it wasn't a 2D Mario game. But if you actually played it on its own merits, there was actually quite a lot to enjoy in there. Uh, The real skill to the game was collecting only watermelons. (laughs) You could play through the game just collecting any fruit and it would be pretty... Like, you just cruise through it in a couple of hours. But if you maximized your your time and uh, made sure that you only collected the green watermelons it became a very challenging sort of score attack game i promise okay <laughs> uh yes ports of pc games like command and conquer and there was a version of starcraft for the n64 was this your first starcraft darren i i love starcraft on, on the pc at, at this point so I, I oh, okay. bought StarCraft 64 as a curiosity, but at this point I was already into Command & Conquer and StarCraft 64 on, not my PC, but my friend's PC. And, I see. Uh, well, he had, he had two, so we, we were like... Do you have many memories up. of it? What was it Star- like? StarCraft 64? No field of view whatsoever. Like, it was oh, so okay. zoomed in, it was, yeah, it was unplayable yeah. to my oh. eye after the PC one. Right, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. I remember the excitement for 007, The World is Not Enough, because obviously everyone was mad for Bond FPSs on the N64 without thinking about who was developing. But this was quite well received. It's all right. Yeah, it was. um, It kind of falls in the same scope as um, Nightfire on the GameCube and PS2 in terms of like, you know what, this game is all right. And I remember playing it thinking, 
that's not a terrible Bond game. Yeah, and uh, obviously playing it, trying to catch uh, capture the GoldenEye hype with a different game. And it didn't get that high, but in terms no. of a, a, just a shooter that had James Bond in it, pretty good. Although we did, uh, the N64 did see a port of Wipeout, which was, was it based on 2097, the Wipeout 64, 64, rather than the first one? Mostly, right, Chris? Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. I haven't played it recently, actually, today and yesterday. Um, yeah, but, but just notable pop-up, though. Whoa! Oh, I think the original has quite a lot of that as well, actually, it when does, you go back it to it. Does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It does, yeah. But it's, it's quite pronounced on the... Uh, oh, there, there's the track. There it is. I now know where to turn. Oh, my God. Before that, we got a futuristic racer N64 exclusive at the time, I think. Extreme G and XG2. Yeah. I never PC played games them. as well. PS2, didn't they, yeah. PC. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, they've, they've, I think it went to PS2 as well, yeah. But yeah, Extreme hmm. G3. I do know I have both on the PC. And Shadow Man, which uh, you can buy the original of on Good Old Games for PC, but is, uh, and that also came to Dreamcast and PS1, but uh, I associate it, I think, with the N64. Uh, there's a remaster on its way. Yeah. I think, is it Night Dive as well doing that? Yeah, one? and talking of Night Dive, the, the Forsaken remastered is on Xbox, just to. Oh, cool. Yeah. My bad. It's just, it's just never dropped in price, so I've never bought it. Right. Never spotted it. <laughs> uh, it was given away on um, Amazon Games, I think, so oh, I've got man. it on there. Quiet Paul on Shadow Man says, as I, I was someone who grew up on the horror genre from a very young age, I thrived on horror films old and new and to finally get a horror game was mind blowing to me as a wee nipper. Although Shadow Man even then was never jump scary. It always left me a nervous wreck after playing for a while. It was one I stopped playing for a long time as my most vivid memory hello, of, the, of that game. <laughs> my most vivid memory of that game was learning that my gran had passed away. And for a time, that's all I could think about when I played it. After many years, I eventually did revisit it. And with a guide from YouTube, I got every Dark Soul and upgrade there is to get. And despite how arse it looks graphically, I'd still recommend it. There's potentially a remake upgraded version coming at some stage. So it might be best to wait for that. Indeed, if we ever cover it, I think we'll wait for that uh, Night Dive version for sure. Uh, Mischief Makers actually probably would never have got a release, but for the fact that it was early in the machine's life. And so I think they they were just looking for things to that they could release in the West. Obviously, some treasure games had already come out. And Mischief Makers is a curious 2D platformer from treasure that involved you shaking things. Uh, Sin and Punishment was a pretty awesome third person on rails shooter which finally came out in the west on the wii virtual console and then the wii yep. virtual console thankfully yep. uh, but it was uh it was one of the games where i was actively thinking how can i play this on my power n64 thinking about getting uh you know feet you know adapter devices for my n64 just to play this but um, but I never got round to it. And even eventually we got to play it anyway. Similarly, Ogre Battle 64, Person of Lordly Caliber, the tactics game that uh, that it did ultimately get virtual console releases because for some reason we were not deemed worthy of getting such games over here. Uh, coming towards the end now, we've got our little list of turkeys. Uh, now, I haven't played any of these, but I'm very aware of a couple of them because they are kind of infamous. Uh, are there any on this list that any of you would wish to say anything on? Did any of you pay any money for any of these games? Mm. I'm I'm happy to say I have none of these in my 
I'm looking at my shelf and yeah, it's none of those there. Um, lucky escape. Yeah, lucky escape. Dodge bullets, many bullets here. But uh, whenever I see Daikatana, my memory immediately floods back to Iron Storm and how that all panned out for everyone involved. Um, but uh, yeah, dodge. No, anyone else? Blues Brothers 2000, Darren? No, but I wish I did because it's worth a bit of money now. Yeah. Yeah, there's some, as you can imagine, especially in boxed uh, form with instructions, there are quite a few uh, rare and valuable cartridges. I suppose the two that I really feel we have to mention, um, one is often just referred to as Superman or Superman 64. It's actually called Superman The New Adventures, Hmm. Uh, probably one of the most most notorious game turkeys in the history of gaming. Yeah, it's up there with Pac-Man on the 2600. Yeah, it's uh, it was a 50 quid game and it had a famous section where you point Superman into some fog and Lex Luthor says, solve my maze and yeah. you fly through some rings. It's amazing because as a teen at this point, we checked it out because I had access to a lot of these cartridges. Of course. Yeah. And we played it. And even back then, we had our own catchphrase of solve my maze. And then you grow up and you're like, no, everyone's making the same joke, but we didn't have the internet then. It was like, <laughs> it was a weird coming together of minds like oh other people notice this rubbish as well yeah and i'm going to use the word rubbish there and i mean it and probably the other one that i remember at the time being like an instant classic mega turkey was the mortal kombat spin-off game uh it was supposed to be the first of a multi-game series but it was so awful i don't think it ever got uh any sequels maybe one it was planned on, to be on, like a series, wasn't it? Of like, yeah, that's I don't right. Think you just said that because I was typing the word bomb yeah. here underneath. Yeah, you were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sub Zero, MK Mythology, Sub Zero, uh, notorious. Bomberman Hero. So yeah, Bomberman obviously after being uh, a legend, going all the way back to Spectrum days, but then mainly on the PC Engine and Super Nintendo. So expecting more joy from Bomberman on the N sixty four, but. They kept doing these really weird not mm. Bomberman games, right? So Bomberman 64 was weird, but it was fun in its own kind of strange parallel universe way. It was 3D, but not true 3D. Bomberman 64 2, did they call it? I can't remember. Was You know, it was an improvement. Mm, but Bomberman Hero was single player only. There was no, <laughs> yeah. there was no multiplayer. Yeah. And they wanted... 60 pounds hudson used to muck around with bomberman quite a lot there was but yeah. there was some quite interesting spin-offs on the saturn uh that never came out over here but yeah uh i mean, I mean sure we've had act zero or bomberman zero you know afterwards but bomberman hero i i couldn't believe it when i turned it on let's play some multiplayer bomberman oh it's not oh you're the, kidding the, and, and no, to the, think the saturn had was it 16 player yes it wasn't yeah, saturn yeah. bomberman Fantastic. Ten player, high ten, ten, it's called. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Are there any others that you feel motivated to, should get a special mention for either being a, a personal favourite or any other reason? Chris? Um, The one that sort of sticks out for me is, is Quake 2. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I really, really liked Quake 2 on... The N64. Yeah, it's a sort of bespoke version. They did bespoke versions for yes. uh, PS1 yes. and N64, different developers. Um, both. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. the, the, the PlayStation is a 
tour de force and technical. Yeah, marble. it's astonishing. Yeah, uh, and that's something we should be talking about separately to this. I have to insist. Well, the, no, we've started our want... Quake series, so it will happen. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that because that needs its own spotlight. Thank you very much. Works really good with the mouse. Anyway, on the on the N64, it's a very different game. The sound design is really, really good. That's something that really struck me about it. And the actual controls really, once you get used to them, it takes a little bit to get used to. But you have options and that kind of thing. But I just really, the lighting of it and the con, it's just really well put together experience it's a really good follow-on from quake um and that's that's something i think they did a really good job on similarly with hexen they did a good port to that as well um and they're, they're the two that immediately spring to mind also little honorable mention to 1080 that game you really feel like you're grinding the snow you really do i know it's been spoken about on hmm. previous episode i want to listen to Tenements for that. They nail it. It's just a. You actually see the jackets billowing, as the, mm. as the as the as you're riding down those mountains. It's just so wonderful when you saw that. Went, look at that! Look at that! You know, it was just rather than sort of stuck on texture. It was actually another polygon that slapped mm. on top of the model. That actually the the clothing was being animated. I've just never seen that before. So they're the three. Sorry for. the Hogging a little bit, but they're the three. But yeah, Quake 2. Like Corker of a game. Good. Good shout. Darren, any others? Uh, Iggy's Wrecking Balls. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Come on, HD port. Now, I was going to mention Hexen because I quite enjoyed that back in the day. Um, yeah, there's there's quite a few N64 curiosities that I, I did enjoy, um, but nothing really that kind of immediately leaps out of my brain. It's just like, oh, yeah, you should really check this out. You know, um, it, there was a Mega Man 64 that uh, it was quite uh, well regarded. It was like a Legends, um, Mega Man oh, Legends okay. sort of port right. thing. Mm. So I, I really enjoyed Nagano Winter Olympics for what it was worth. Oh, um, yeah. It came out. I, I enjoyed that was the sort of version of, um, it was Konami, wasn't it? So it was their right, yeah. sort of track and field spin-off mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. You know, there, there, were, there were quite a few games on the N64 that, you know, they're obviously on the PS1 as well, but like Nightmare Creatures seemed to be one that's, I remember thinking this is oh, you know yeah. pretty pretty strange in a weird kind of third party way. There's a there is a lot out there on the N64 that are, are completely forgettable, but you know sometimes you just go oh yeah you know Rainbow Six on the N64 was all right. <laughs> I remember playing it and thinking that was all right. Revolt, you know I am just scrolling through a list now, <laughs> just thinking you know ones we haven't on mentioned wheels yeah. by Sucker Punch. Oh Rocket Robot, that is definitely deserves a mention. So Sucker Punch's uh, first 3D platformer, possibly their first game. Hmm. Yeah, you know, and good there shout. Was, there was some garbage like South Park again in its third game, and uh, not not chronologically, but third in 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 the list of Chef's Love Shack trying to be the Mario oh, Party. Oh boy, oh boy! Yeah. You know, and he, that was on the Dreamcast and PS One as well. But it yes. it feels like it's at home on the N sixty four. Yeah, that's worth. <laughs> Where it looks <laughs> worse. <laughs> yeah, looks garbage. But yeah, you know, the, the list could go on. There, there are some strange like, there, I think there's like um a Winnie the Pooh game or a Tigger's game that's exclusive to the N64 or something like that. Whoa, I remember there being some strange kind of, mm. why is this coming out? But actually, I guess a lot of American list. kids had them by, by, by that stage, you know. I played a lot of Vigilante 8 on my N64 as well. Okay. That's a PC port. Or, uh, it was yeah, also it was, yeah, it was also on the other thing. But yeah, the, again, because you had like access to quick and easy four-player split screen, I think we yeah. enjoyed that. Fabulous. You know, there was yeah. a lot of 
a lot of N64 games for me, like Worms Armageddon, because you had the four ports, you know, I favoured that because the loading was quicker and it had four ports. So, like, just by its very nature of being on that hardware, it became an N64 game in my head, despite it being all over the shop on other Oh, platforms. yeah, for sure. We all have our strong association. Of course. Jay, was there anything else in your box of N64 delights that uh, you have I'm fond- just thumbing through it now. No, I, there isn't actually nothing that I haven't already talked about. Anything you bought and so um, You don't sell many things, do you? So there's probably nothing no. that you've forgotten. All right. <laughs> Well, in that case, uh, I just want to finish off by mentioning uh, there, there was a brief mention, but for me, uh, ISS International Superstar Soccer mm. 64 and chiefly ISS 98 the were, were the follow-ups by Konami's Major A Studio to the ISS games on the yes. SNES. So good. And uh, there was an ISS 2000, which I never actually got around to getting um, because by that stage, I think I was on to... ISS Pro probably, but um, but those games were uh, pretty special for a football fan at the time. They have visually aged astonishingly, but uh, we play we dug ISS ninety eight out, I believe, at Darren's house. This is quite a few years ago now, wasn't mm. it? We mm. we had a session around it. A long time ago, yeah. Maybe five or six years, unbelievably. But but uh, Tony and I uh, locked Trident controllers, and uh, and I, <laughs> I came out three two victor. So I was quite pleased. You know, as someone who had a friend who had, you know, who who could go to Japan and have family there, he brought back the the Japanese version. I don't know how you pronounce it, Jikyo J League, is it or something like yeah, that? Yeah, Jikyo Soccer. Yeah. Yeah, and I had the um the it's the France World Cup or Euros, the bird, the bird on the front, the blue bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember him bringing France that back, 98. and we were very very excited for that. Footies. Nice. Okay. Alex79UK says, aged 18, I was faced with a decision I'm sure many gamers pondered upon around the dawn of the 32-bit era, PlayStation or N64, or Saturn, I guess. I ultimately went down the PlayStation route, which meant I only got to play on an N64 when my girlfriend at the time's younger brother got one. We'd play GoldenEye, Deathmatch and a bit of Mario 64, but that was all I really experienced in and around the first year or so of the N64's lifespan. I did eventually buy one for myself many, many years later to see what I'd been missing out on. And whilst it may be bordering on treasonous to say, I thought to myself, not much. The controller, the graphics and sound, the infamous Vaseline smeared look to everything never really sold the console to me. Despite being aware there are some all-time great games on the N64, it's a console I've just got no nostalgia for at all, really. And that's the way it goes. Uh, One brief honorable mention to the last ever game i think released on the n64 it was a completed port of a game uh, it was a playstation game that came out in 1999 by eurocom for gt interactive called 40 winks it was a very averagely received uh 3d platformer ish game i think <laughs> um and it came out uh more recently for windows in 2018 the N64 version released on the 15th of April, 2019. You can buy it in a box for your N64 if you really want to. It's interesting because a lot of the, the old systems, people are still making games for Mega Drive games, cartridges, um, even Dream, you know, Dreamcast and stuff like that. But there don't seem to be a lot of people working on N64 titles. Uh, I guess releasing had, them as a... Um... Macbat mm. Macbat 64 on Steam. It, I, mean, oh, I think it came out on yeah. Wii U as well. 
It's kind right. of a, an attempt at being N64. Yes, there's a few of those kind of things, aren't there? Yeah. There's that Mario Party S game you had a look at for us as well, isn't there? Oh, yeah. What was that called? I cannot remember mm. the name of that one. No, me neither. Uh, probably something like Monster Mash or something like that. Yeah, but I think a lot of these things, uh, I guess sometimes they get released. I guess it's the development kits aren't widely available, um, hence, hence people not making stuff. And also... Obviously, producing cartridges would be prohibitive, but you could release it as a file for playing on an EverDrive or something like that. But anyway, there we go. If you need to complete your N64 collection, if you're one of those folks, you'll need 40 winks. Finally, from the forum, we got uh, a bit more of a love letter than we just had from Alex. This is from Ed Hall, who says, The N64 is very special to me. I was 10 when it launched, by, the, by which time my older brother and I had shared an Amiga 1200, a Master System, a Game Gear, and a couple of PCs for gaming. Being six years older than me, my brother had gone solo with his PlayStation, leaving me with the Master System all, by to, all, all to myself. But after sharing consoles for years, the N64 was the first machine that I felt a personal connection to. It came around at the perfect time. It was made for me and my friends. Looking back, I don't think I was aware of its launch straight away, but the spinning 3D end that featured at the back end, uh, the end of TV ads must have embedded itself into my brain at the time. On Boxing Day 1997, I walked into my best friend Dave's house to see the very same spinning N as he loaded Mario Kart 64. It's a really vivid memory for me. He and his five brothers and sisters got an N64 for Christmas with four controllers plus half a dozen games and accessories. Needless to say, I spent the next few days, weeks actually, a year actually, at his house as we blitzed through Mario, Mario Kart, Ocarina of Time and, of course, Goldeneye. It would be the following Christmas when I got my own N64. It's still in my memory as one of the best Christmases ever. What's incredible is that I practically spent every day and night of 1998 at my friend Dave's house as we rinsed his collection of games and yet I still couldn't wait to play them on my own machine. The funny part of this story is that my mum and dad had just separated at this point. That's not the funny bit. And in the run up to Christmas, my dad was hiding my main present at his house, an N64 and Goldeneye bundle. One Saturday morning, he went to work for a few hours while my brother and I were staying over. It was at this point that my brother revealed that he'd been to game with dad to buy an N64 earlier in the week. He knew it was hidden in the bottom of a wardrobe and he persuaded me that it was a good idea to sneak a look. We proceeded to carefully unbox it, scoring the stickers with a sharp knife to open the box seamlessly, unwrapping each piece of cable meticulously and taking careful note of how it all went back together. With me having already rinsed Goldeneye at Dave's, we plugged it in and blasted through the entire game on Double O Agent that morning, passing the controller be between us. We then placed everything back exactly how it was to cover our tracks. I'd never done anything like it before and never did again. I remember on Christmas morning, my brother grinning at my best attempt to look surprised as I unwrapped it, and his shifty-looking face as we loaded the Goldeneye car in front of my mum, only to see an almost fully completed and unlocked game. My love affair with the N64 continued to grow from there. The N64 basically took up all of my time from, till, from 1998 until I got a PS2 in 2001. It came everywhere with me, in its carry bag, even caravan holidays. Now it's a console that I'll dig out once a year and play on for a couple of nights. I still get pangs of nostalgia when I see the loading screen of each game, and it's fun to jump onto a multiplayer with a friend for a couple of hours. But then the novelty wears off, the resolution and draw distance frustrate, and it's safely back in the box for another year. 
I loved it. I still love it. I'll always love it. Even if it's just as a piece of nostalgic ephemera and my first and only foray into criminal Christmas activity. Thank you to all of our correspondents for this uh, N64 special. Time for us to wrap up. Not really a recommendation as such. I think people will generally know if they want an N64 in their life at this stage or not. But uh, just sum up our feelings on it as a, co a console and a time. Jay? Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of going to repeat what I said at the start. But to me, the N64 was kind of like like the Roy Batty of video game <laughs> consoles, really, in that it, it burns so very, very brightly at the, for the briefest of time. And then, yeah, I can't remember the rest of that quote at the end of the film, so I'm not going to try. <laughs> but, they, um, but you know, it, I know I haven't had a lot to say on this one, but well, except for the start, but it was like, I I still hold very strong memories about this console. And I, the, the, there are, I'm looking at the boxes now and I, the time I can remember playing them and enjoying the, a lot of time spent on these cartridges. Um, probably only like half a dozen, if if I'm honest, mm. that I really invested in. But then, so what? You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. But um, I mean, I say that I've literally been playing one game for the last fifteen months, anyway. So it's just that's, <laughs> that's how kind the, of the that's norm. your mo, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Like, it, you can't. I can't really recommend it. I've never gone back to it in the best part of twenty years, you know, it's like it died a death the moment I picked up it certainly got put away the moment I, I got an Xbox. Um mm. but it was like, yeah, still incredibly fond memories and it's still part of my sort of gaming history in a sense. Quite a strong part really. Yeah. For the briefest of time. But yeah. For sure. Yeah, I guess from my point of view, like I'm not a, a although I keep some legacy consoles in my collection for for reasons you know normally there'll be a game or two that is literally not playable anywhere else i guess i felt that with the combination of remasters pc ports other versions and virtual console there wasn't enough to persuade me to keep my n64 as much as i'd loved it at the time i think for me the that time was as, oh, as yeah similar to how jay says it was it was a, a very fine and fondly remembered and an important gaming time for me but it wasn't one that I necessarily felt the need to sort of keep in my life forever in, in the ways that some other, some others, uh, some other consoles sort of resonate. But that said, there are still some games that I, of an N64 origin that I will still very much enjoy playing, whether it's uh, Majora's Mask on the 3DS or yeah, just playing uh, 1080 or Wave Race on the Wii U virtual console, stuff like that. And yeah, ultimately if my, if my dream came true of a, a big dedicated games room with a massive library and a collection of everything ever, I would absolutely have a, a nice uh, modded multi-region N64 and a, and, a, and a CRT to plug it in and a good collection of Japanese and American games and not the stinky bordered PAL ones. Uh, but yeah, it is, it's all about the fond memories for me and understanding like as I say, we've covered tons of these games on, or tons of the key games on the Cane and Rinse podcast. Check some of those out. Um, obviously, we are yeah completely aware of how the visuals have aged, but I don't think we should ever forget just how extraordinary some of these games looked and felt and were to experience back in the late 90s. 
Chris. It's interesting you say that, you know, you didn't feel the need to, to keep hold of yours. And for some reason I did. Yeah. And I've been sitting here going, why? I mean, I have sold consoles before. Mm. I have. I mean, I, have, I have, didn't keep my original grey uh, PlayStation. I gave that to my brother. Uh, and I actually replaced it with PlayStation 1. The O-N-E. She's fine. Um, but um, we can't ignore its legacy. And I think the reason I kept mine is twofold. First of all, Ocarina of Time. Still rate it very highly. It's not my favourite game of all time. It's another thing. But it's still extraordinary. And yes, there's been many ports of it. I say many. Um, I think current uh, machines don't have it, but you can get it on the 3DS and then they re-released it on the GameCube as well under the collection. That's fine. But uh, for me, so there's that. You know, experiencing that, using the original controller, etc. That's lovely. But the other thing is just just really experience that some of those games in a, in a slightly different form. It's not worse, but different, like, you know, Ridge Racer and stuff like that and wait and wipe out is fascinating to experience. And there's still some, there's, there's, there's a joy to be had. I mean, I've been playing it for the last couple of days, as I mentioned earlier, to prepare for this recording and it's been really 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 fun it's still cool. got a got a pull there it's still there's some wonderful games on there we've already described them earlier in the show and repeat ourselves but i think the legacy of it i want to go back to that and then pass it on to darren but um the legacy is that this is where 3d action platformers really made their mark and we did yes that that is a that is a a genre that's very well represented in of the N64 because it was almost designed and built for that particular one title, which is a bit unfair to, to accuse it of that. And indeed, the controller was 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 designed for one game, but you know that's that's probably unfair for Nintendo to, to Nintendo to say that. And but we can't ignore the fact that all the camera control stuff and the all that that technology, those techniques, was started with this machine and to this day there's still bits and pieces that when I picked up that controller again today and started doing the things and playing I'm like yeah I've learnt this for the last 20 odd years because it started here and uh, it's, it's remarkable how a lot of it hasn't changed some of it has changed thankfully for the better because camera controls is something that they really tried to figure out on the N64 but it's only now that we realise that actually you can either give you the control completely or we, we take it away from you it's fine. Um, but yeah, I just found that. That's, to me, my big takeaway for the N64. What it did for the medium of games itself, it did a great deal. And what's remarkable about it, and we've mentioned it already, is how short a life it had. You know, it, it was almost a blink. Like, here's, here's, here's oh, okay, here's, here's the next one. It's almost mm. as if, like, yeah, here's it, okay. Four or five years compared to, like, the the previous previous gen 360 yeah. and PS3 were around yeah. for best part of a decade, yeah. Decade, yeah. So Big difference. that's it's quite a thing to to note that, and we mentioned it for several times. Many many of the correspondents and the emails and forum posts, which have been wonderful, by the way, uh, did allude to the fact that they typically had them for two, three years, uh, which is quite extraordinary. Uh, they meet people very very quickly moved on from them, which is a shame because, but they you know it's just the nature of the industry at that time. It was undergoing amazing advancements and huge state of flux 
in the late 90s to mid 2000s huge things happened in that period and i'm not surprised that it, it, it burnt so brightly but yeah legacy for the n64 thank you that's all i've got to say <laughs> and for somebody who's perhaps the uh the influence of the console has resonated a little longer darren <laughs> if you've got any words left after i know i know what you're like this time of night <laughs> oh man my brain is mash up yeah but um i'm not going to repeat myself compared to what i said at the start of the podcast you know it's absolutely transformative in terms of who i am but yeah i've got a few things to say uh dinosaur planet on the n64 got leaked and i played it oh, yeah it still doesn't yeah. make the game any good despite it being <laughs> older I, I didn't like it it's just it just breaks fox. at some point as well doesn't it that version yeah uh, it's unfinished obviously because it didn't get yeah. released but it is yeah. just star fox adventures on the n64 which is quite interesting to see to see an n64 version of star fox adventures but it's not that interesting really just because it's a rare game doesn't mean i'm going to play it through but yeah you know rare games for me were just you know absolutely just it just changed who i am and i could i could never really you know i can never really kind of put it into words to justify just how important it was to me you know, I don't know if this is appropriate for a podcast, but I missed saying it on the Diddy Kong Racing podcast, but I did buy a copy of Diddy Kong Racing, go to the toilet and discover masturbation for the first time. So there was Whoa. that as a learning experience. That is um, a weird that connection. Is weird, it is, isn't it? It's like, I need the toilet. What happens if I do this? Oh, hang on. No, there we go. That's what that happens. So Diddy there, Kong Racing get... never made me feel that way, i got to say. <laughs> but it was just that time of year <laughs> for me, you know. It's like four, 13, 14, like... Yeah. Just all these things, all these moments in life were just like these firsts, these firsts. And the N64 was during that time of me definitely growing up in ways that I wasn't really expecting. Yeah. So I've always got Diddy Kong Racing. And <laughs> every time you have, as, uh, every time you have an orgasm, you've got Timber the Tiger's eyes. <laughs> got the old <laughs> flashing in front of you. Yeah, man. It's all linked. That's why I love it so much. Now, you know, it's tipped up N64. It was just at the right time in a much in the same way that maybe the xbox series and ps5s will be for the 13 year olds of today you know maybe mm. that's it's the same thing but in a different time you know i'm sure the mega drive or the mass system or whatever console it was back in the day was the same for you when you were 13 you know what i mean but the n64 um, was just that right point <laughs> in me there were no life. consoles when i was 13 <laughs> to, to completely just kind of just it's not quite true it it kind of saved me from you know, social interactions in, in, with, in, that I didn't want. And so, yeah, GoldenEye in particular kept me indoors and away from nasty people, and I met nice new people, and here I am. So, yeah, good work, N64. I love you, even though you're hard to go back to. <laughs> Thanks, Darren. On that bombshell, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Jay, Chris, and Darren, and Jay for editing as well. That's the same Jay. Thank you to all of our correspondents and to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you're not already, consider our Patreon, patreon.com slash Rince. If you're not a member and you sign up now, the next one of these shows will already be available. You might want a gap before you listen to it, but hey, uh, it is of another as yet undecided single platform console. Until we next speak, enjoy. And here's... Buck Bumble. What about now? It's time to rock with the bigger the buck Bumble. What about now? It's time to rock with the bigger the buck Bumble. Bump to the bump to the bump to the bass. Bump to the bump to the bumble. Bump to the bump to the bump to the bass. Bump to the bump to the bumble. Bump to the bump to the bump to the bass. Bump to the bump to the bumble. Bump to the bump to the bump to the bass. Bump to the bump.
Bump to the boot to the 